0: Live
1: from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe, welcome to your Context Lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas.
2: And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan.
1: That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. How you doing, Manila?
2: Pretty good. I got some sleep last night.
1: Well, that is always a positive thing.
2: Like, almost completely uninterrupted.
1: So did the dad get up and get the kid? Get the no. Kid or is the kid just sleeps at this point?
2: No, he, he he's potty trade now, but he's still, when it's the middle of the night, I think it's, for whatever reason, it's scary yeah. to little kids. So he wakes up mom.
1: Okay. But he didn't wake up last night. He did. Oh, but so you were able to get back almost. yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, I can I can zonk back out.
1: Okay. I'm that <laughs> yes. person. Zonk back I can
2: out. Oh, totally. I mean, it's probably unsafe, but I feel like when I had to do this when I used to travel as a as a reporter, like I would fall asleep like <laughs> probably bad, but like on the London tube, as uh-huh. they call it, like the metro or whatever they call it down yeah. there. Um but I would be like clutching my computer bag in front of me and I'd doze off standing up, <laughs> holding the rail. I'd like doze off for a few stops and be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I could do that now in my 40s, but in my 20s, I certainly could catch, you know, 40 winks here, 40 winks there.
1: But at the very least with a kid, you can always just go back to sleep.
2: Maybe. In in theory. Uh, But for me, generally. More or less. Yeah. It takes your... As a woman, (laughs) as a uterus owner... Right. Your body goes through changes after the baby. And and maybe it's like a maternal instinct, but like you... You wake up to check on your kid, you wake up for whatever. My mom did that
1: too. Right. Like she would say See? how she couldn't tolerate at all anymore. Yes. Um sleeping habits change. Yeah, all this stuff. Yes. Yeah.
2: Like your your blood pressure, your cholesterol, everything changes.
1: It's altered.
2: I mean, you can work to get it back. I mean,
1: it is a sort of a traumatic experience. It you is a
2: traumatic experience for your body. A,
1: a a huge thing through your well, vagina into the world.
2: It's not even that part, because that's like one one. Well, i like, your
1: instant. body has to accommodate that. Like, maybe has to go through all those changes to keep ten, that baby alive. They lie. To, it's yeah. 10
2: months. 40 weeks is 10 months. Yeah. Right? They're like, well, it's the end of nine months. <laughs> all right. Tomato, tomato, it's 10 months. You have 40 weeks of this thing growing inside of you, mm-hmm. draining your energy, sapping the food that you eat, taking yep. the nutrients from you. Yeah. Right? And it's supposed to be this magical, glorious experience. Oh, I never think that. I'm oh, not. Yeah. The, I'm not that... I'm a magical vessel of life. Yeah, I don't think... Look at my glorious belly. Yeah. I'm not that woman.
1: It's a traumatic experience. That's, it, the, way, it, <laughs> that's the way I see yes. it. It's a traumatic experience.
2: It's, right. I didn't personally, like, experience, ba- you know, anything difficult. In well, my even pregnancy. if you don't, it's still... But held. your body is... Yeah. Your body goes through stuff. Yeah. And then it's been four years, and I'm... Look, my glasses. I have to wear glasses. I never wore glasses before pregnancy. Yeah. Body changed. Oh, And yeah. now going back to sleep is... V- damn near difficult. But I did it last night. Last
1: night work. Yeah, night, I never take that. It's a beautiful flower. No. all babies are a blessing. Yeah, all babies are not a blessing. Sometimes those babies are born into horrible situations that make the mom's situation. Or family worse. Oh. Um And yeah, from the standpoint of the mom, body gets... Yes. I call it dramatic.
2: Even if you have a, a great pregnancy like I did. Yeah. I was very lucky, very fortunate to have a healthy pregnancy, healthy birth. But mm-hmm. the, the woman's body... Yes, I said it, a woman's body goes through well, a lot. Trans
1: women aren't having babies.
2: So well, it's a know. woman's body. I mean, I think you yeah. and I agree on this subject, yeah. but at the end but of I the know, day. But I know some people
1: what? make that argument like
2: trans woman is a woman. And it's Whatever. like Whatever. The I Scientifically, cringe. there's the female and the male species.
1: It's an ideological argument. Right. More than a physical argument, but it's an aggravating argument at times. It's like, you're a trans folk. It's like, dude, I think you should have every um Um, fairness in society that everybody else has. Meaning, I see no distinction between you and I. But don't
2: force the change on my language.
1: Yes, yes. Don't screw my language.
2: Especially with science. You can't screw science. Like, it just... Well, for them, according to them. Don't politicize science. But yes, a woman's body goes through a lot. Many women go back to, to quote, normal, Mm -hmm. but many don't. Yeah. My vision has never come back. Yeah. And my sleep habits have taken four years. I'm almost normal. Almost, but yeah, you... You get tired. And, There's and
1: differences, the, yeah. And the
2: kiddo, sorry, man. They don't necessarily want dad. They,
1: <laughs> they want mom. Perfectly okay with that. They
2: want mom. And you know. I you my sleep. You, you probably don't remember, but you probably wanted mama. Listen, do your remember? Mom will tell you, <laughs> your mom probably, will tell you.
1: You probably don't remember that 30, Ma- Mama you know, Thomas,
2: shout out to you. She's probably listening. Much she those several months. She several years. She knows. I that right. was weird. Let's, let's get over to some news. But yeah, we're giving props to, to moms who don't get enough sleep. <laughs> mama Thomas, I'm looking at you. <laughs> All right, to some domestic news here. Okay, it's finally official. I think we're done counting.
1: Republicans have taken house.
2: <laughs> I think we are finally done counting. A week and a half after the midterm elections, the numbers are in. Republicans have officially clinched control of the U.S. House of Representatives. After four years worth of Democratic leadership in the chamber, election results are finally confirmed. The GOP, they needed to grab 218 seats. They got it after finally, thanks to my home state, it took forever. Congressman Mike Garcia from California's 27th District, Republican, was the final one to clinch that seat. The majority call had been on pause since Monday when Republicans remained stuck at 217. The GOP only needed to win over five total seats from Democrats in order to come out on top and push House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, kick her to the curb. So out she goes. At present, Democrats have about 210 seats. Several races for them have yet to be called, but it doesn't matter. Republicans have officially clinched control of the lower chamber. Then in the upper chamber, the U.S. Senate on Wednesday, advanced bipartisan legislation granting federal protections to same-sex and interracial marriages in the United States. That's a good thing. Senators voted to advance the Respect for Marriage Act in a 62 to 37 vote, setting the stage for passage by the upper chamber. A total of 60 votes are needed to limit debate on legislation, so they got the majority on that. The bill requires the U.S. federal government to recognize a marriage between two individuals if the marriage was valid in the state where it was performed and guarantees full faith and credit between states to these valid marriages. Then the conclusions made in Monday's Carbon Tracker report describing investment in the African fossil fuel industry as, quote, high risk, And they are a sentimental approach, they say, to selling a politically motivated point. Said Dr. Wisdom, that's his name, Dr. Wisdom Patrick Enang, a Nigerian oil and gas consultant, in the interview that he gave to Sputnik. Quote, I see the report being published without actually. Looking at the African side of the story, the report doesn't have a balanced view, he said, adding that Africa, quote, will write its own history, taking into consideration the balance between achieving clean energy and energy security and sustainability. Then a wrong way driver just outside of LA City proper struck a group of law enforcement recruits while they were jogging Wednesday morning Early, early in the wee hours, pre-dawn, 25 of those recruits were injured, five critically wounded. The crash occurred at 6.25 a.m. local time Wednesday down the street from L.A. Sheriff's Department's Star Explorer Training Academy in my hometown, Whittier, California. The injuries sustained by the recruits include head trauma, broken bones, and some have lost limbs. Now, Sheriff Sheriff Alex Villanueva said one recruit is on a ventilator. Now, that driver was detained at the scene. He suffered minor injuries as well. Authorities have not determined the cause of the crash and noted they did not smell alcohol on the driver. They've also not named him either. Uh, He's a 22-year-old male, reportedly telling police that he was sleepy. So, oof. Tragic story. International news here some, <clears throat> excuse me, Chinese President Xi Jinping appeared to reprimand Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Wednesday for disclosing private discussions to the media in an informal exchange of words, partially captured in a video recording in a busy lobby area at the G20 summit. Now he says, quote, everything we discussed is leaked to the paper. That's not appropriate. She's interpreter saying that in English near the start of the clip, adding, quote, that's not the way the conversation was conducted. Now, Trudeau is heard responding that, he says, in Canada, we believe in free and open and frank dialogue. And that, adding that we work constructively together but there will be things we will disagree on. Then the Iranian foreign, Minis- foreign ministry of foreign the Iranian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Let's try that for that third time. The Iranian Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Wednesday confirmed the release of two Greek tankers that were seized back on May 27 of this year. Greek Minister for Shipping and Island Policy Giannis Plakiotakis announced the release of the vessel earlier on Wednesday. Then Sweden's parliament has forced through a constitutional amendment that will make it possible to pass tougher anti-terror laws, which has been demanded by Turkey if it's to approve Stockholm's bid to join NATO. The amendment passed with an overwhelming majority with only the left party opposing, making it possible to introduce new laws to quote, limit freedom of association when it comes to organizations that engage in terrorism or support it according to the Parliament's own standing constitutional committee, which recommended that MPs greenlight the proposal, it will enable wider criminalization of participation in a terrorist organization or ban against the terrorist organization. Then worldwide average sperm counts are quote, falling at an accelerated rate after having over, having half, half, halfing like as in 50%, having over the last 40 years. That's according to a new study led by Israeli epidemiologist Hagai Levine. Sperm counts are not only an indicator of fertility, but also of male health in general. A low count may indicate an increased risk of chronic diseases, testicular cancer, and a decreased lifespan. Now, quote: Overall, we're seeing a significant worldwide decline in sperm counts of over fifty percent from the last forty-six years. A decline that has accelerated in recent years. Now, there's a a, a book that I it's on my reading list by Dr. Shanna Swan, who talks about how, this exact thing yeah. about how uh, overall people, human fertility, male and female, how um. Our egg counts have also almost halved. Yeah. And men's sperm count have almost, have pretty much halved over the past 50 years. Yeah. And um, it's a weird thing, but... So it has to do with... I don't think it's weird, though. It has to do with phthalates in our plastics. Yeah. That have reduced... I don't know if I could say this on air, but I, I'm going to try. Maybe. I don't know. I'll get bleeped out. Taints. Male and female taint size. Um, yes, The Ma- distance the between the distance. penis exactly. and vagina. Yeah. No, the vagina. I mean, and the um, rectum. Your, yes, rectum and your, yeah. Yeah. So that taint area it has, there's shrunk. a correlation. It
1: Cross shrunk. Prostate. Uh,
2: there's a, yeah, that, that space, yeah, has shrunk over Interesting. over the decades. Who but that's me- in that book by is- Dr. Shanna Swan, so. Did she would- measure that? Yeah, yeah, she's a scientist.
1: No, what I mean is, like, I gave an example. A burglar goes into a room or a house and in the house he does all of the stuff around the room and everything else. He steals X, he steals Y. The cops come in, does an investigation, and they find out there's semen under the icebox. And the first thought there's is what? Semen under the ice box. Under right. the ice box. And the first question is, who went looking for semen under the icebox? It feels like that. Right. Where it's like, who went looking? Well
2: she looked at did- well she was it, I think she in her book and it's it's on you know, I've read some of it, I haven't gone <laughs> yeah. through all of it. But, uh, <laughs> just sounds- so she was originally studying how plastics, um, cross through into yep. like in the in, in the uterus right. and affects the baby. And
1: one led to the right, other.
2: one led to another and became this snowball of a study. That is fascinating. And then she arrived at the space see, between rectum and genitals. But see,
1: I don't think it's crazy at all. I mean, from my standpoint, well, it's, it just sounds so funny. It's like I have a, a hypothesis. That's yeah. the space between the. Rec- and then you go and, then and you say, sir, I need to measure the yes. space between your.
2: And she studied like hundreds of the space they between They would have to put me
1: unconscious in order to do that. It's like, Mr. Measure- Mr. Thomas, we need to measure the space between. <laughs> just, All right.
2: You, you give have it a- to. You- talk- you have you men have me doctors set. go cup your junk and cough anyway, so I mean, you know, maybe she had doctors like measuring that area. See, the way know.
1: you deal with that is go into the doctor's office and say, Doctor, are you gonna cut my junk? Yeah, and I can say, like, What so please cut my junk, doctor? After a while, they were be like, Okay, this guy's cup weird. I don't, him. He, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to come and, and, and cough. cough this guy. So he's I'm too into it. i She worked
2: with a bunch of other, you know, oh, by the way, on, on a
1: serious point, I'm not shocked by that at all. Like, think of how complicated if you were doing software. Think of how complicated, let's say, Amazon software is to do everything that it does. Okay. And then you compare that to the complication that it takes for a body to do what it does in order to just operate. And how that body is operating within a larger context of a globe and the world and everything else. We make so many adjustments to what we put into the environment, to what we put into our foods. And oftentimes that stuff is built on you know, economic expedience.
2: Yeah, well, some of that's true, uh, but she talks about how, you know, mostly her book is focused on phthalates. That's what she was studying was phthalates.
1: It it may be more than phthalates. I mean, they may give her the phthalates and they come around and be like, oh wait, there's something else.
2: I mean, I'm sure there's more to the book. I've gone through like three chapters. Oh, I'm not
1: hitting her. I'm saying she's right and she's probably right even more than...
2: Because of how our... Our world has shifted exactly. over the past fifty years. And
1: what we use materials, chemicals, right. all
2: that stuff. Um, and she blames I know the, the summary of the book is that she blames a lot of, of plastics. And we, we yeah. do you know that every person ends up eating basically a whole credit card. It's in our water. At the end of the year. By by one year, every year we eat, we consume much a credit card worth of plastic.
1: It is in our water at this
2: yes, point. Yes, it's the I mean tiniest, it's all over the place. Yeah. It collects over the year and all all of us in America eat about one credit card a year.
1: Now the, the interesting question is if it gets to the point where it starts affecting birth.
2: And like it, meaning and the, it does.
1: the decline in birth rate and everything else. And there's like then what?
2: There's like malformations of genitalia, yeah. there's like problems like health issues with babies. So she talks about all of that in the book, I but the I'm nowhere is, near then what? nowhere near the end. I don't know if she's proposing a solution. She's just saying, I found it. Oh, I'm
1: not talking about her per se. I'm just saying, if we're dumping all of this stuff into our water, into our chemicals, into our food, if we're making certain- It's up to
2: the people on the hill over there to figure out what to do. And she's like, here, I present to you.
1: Yeah, I guess my point is, you may get to the point where there's no way out. Like where your birth rate has declined to such a degree, and where you've pumped so much stuff into your environment, that there's no way to extricate that stuff from the environment and the rate, meaning even if you get a hundred years, make an adjustment. I mean, I agree. It may not be enough. turn
2: the curve? Exactly. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But Dark, man. I'm not there yet. I'll let you know when I'm done with i'm <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just said this, that stuff is dark. <laughs> it is. It is. Species.
2: And I forget the newest study uh, who published it, but about plastics yeah. is that it turns out, you know, all, this, all these blue recycle bins that everybody has everywhere.
1: Just oh, little plastic recycling.
2: It's, we only end up recycling 5%.
1: Because it's not a feasible um, thing to do. They just say, hey, just put your plastics right. here. So you but feel it, good it and virtuous. Yeah. You're a
2: good person. It's, like it's usually dumped. Yeah. The reality is 95% of the stuff you put in that blue bin just goes back yep. to the dump. Yep. All right. Now, on that news, we'll go to economics news. Oh, by the way, we just got a, or I just got a, a flash on my phone. Uh, the UK is officially in recession.
1: Yes. So yes. there's
2: that. That's the first economic news. Secondly, another cryptocurrency lending platform, BlockFi, is about to file bankruptcy in the coming days, according to an exclusive from Bloomberg Reports. Now, the outlet citing sources with knowledge of the situation who requested anonymity. BlockFi paused withdrawals from the platform this week, or last week rather, citing uncertainty surrounding the FTX collapse. Now, BlockFi had been extended a $400 million line of credit by FTX earlier this year in a deal that could have ended up with FTX purchasing BlockFi if the loan platform had hit certain targets. So obviously, I will buy you, says SBF the Sam Bankman Freed. I will buy you, BlockFi, with this worthless check.
1: (laughs) Well, better yet, with this money that we've stolen this, <laughs> from, you. from all of these other people. Right. yeah. I'm
2: going to give you this check that's certainly going to bounce, but I will buy your company. He's like Wimpy from Popeye.
1: Yeah, I will gladly give you I will a gladly
2: payment. pay you Tuesday yeah. for a hamburger today. Today, That's SBF. That's all right, this day in history, back in 1869, the Suez Canal in Egypt opens, and it links the Mediterranean and Red Seas. And today it gets blocked by giant, giant tankers that are too big for the little canal. And in 1922, the last sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Mehmed VI, is expelled to Malta on a British warship. And in 1970, Douglas Engelbart receives the patent for the first computer mouse. Jamal's using one. I use the finger pad. All right, that's gonna do it for your headlines this Thursday, November 17th. You are listening to Fault Lines.
1: Alright, you guys are listening to Fault Lines Those were your headlines We will be back in a moment
0: Fault Lines Fault Lines
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm with Manila Chan coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. And having all of these, we're having a fight over what is the tape versus what is well, the prospect.
2: It is, we can say tank. We can say it. It's very dangerous to say. It's seven o'clock in the morning. It is not on the no no list.
1: I learned what the tank was from watching um, I the it from thing on.
2: South Park. <laughs>
1: oh, uh, MTV. Um, oh, what is it called? Dumb. What is it called? Dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb jackasses. I'm oh, sorry. Jackasses. I, I learned from watching oh, jackasses. Maybe that too. Because they used to attach electric troves yes! to their tape. And they oh, used to just right. do it. That's I mean, what I, I learned what it was.
2: Maybe at the movie theaters when they had the jackass. No, no, no. Movie?
1: This used to be the television show. Oh, on the show. Yeah. Okay. When, I watched the show. I watched there was an, the movie movies. There was an episode with a guy, I don't know if it's the same episode, where he said, he says, I was gonna do this act where I was gonna stick a child soldier in my bum. And he said, I told my dad. Because look, I tell my mom pretty much everything. He's pretty much the same. I tell my dad. He said my dad looked at me with this level of just. He said my dad was so disappointed, like just <laughs> radical, radical disappointment. Where he's like, guys, I can't do this. Like he literally, like all of this other weird stuff that he's done, and on this one, he's like, actually, I, I can't. It's too much. Right. Too much.
2: We were having this argument with producer Leith.
1: Yeah, over what is <laughs> it? His argument him. was that right. the prostate was a male. G-spot. No,
2: because taint. Women don't have prostates, and we have a taint. Exactly. Everybody has a taint. Everybody has a taint. it's just that, the space between as, I don't know if if that's what... Uh,
1: that's what I've always called it, and that's what I've always known it to be. I don't know
2: the medical terminology...
1: Maybe, I think it's taint. I'll go with taint. I
2: yeah, like yeah. in social vernacular, it's a taint. Yeah, it's the space between the rectum and the start of your sexual genitals. Yes, it's this little space of skin that,
1: in between. Yeah, that patch of skin. Yeah, just fascinating. that somebody measure that? That's, that's yeah. astonishing. Um, but I'll loan you the book if you want when I'm done. <laughs> actually, I may. I mean, really? I, I, it's it's
2: it's interesting. Look,
1: from my standpoint, the our environment and human body is radically complicated. I mean, and we the idea, evolved. yeah, we evolved, and the idea that we are, despite the fact that we evolved. There's still, let's say, evolution is very slow. And so there are things that we may necessarily naturally evolve in, um, but, they're, but that's not the way this is working in practice. I mean, all things have been equal. We as human beings are shaping our environment. So we, let's say we would take a chemical, we would take something that we need for energy, we would build X or Y, and as those things get that much more complicated, the materials, the tools, the chemicals, those things become that much more complicated. And so you build a rocket ship that goes to the moon, okay? What's in the fuel tank that takes that thing to the moon? What are in the chemicals that you use in order to build the ship in and of itself to withstand the pressures and the temperatures and everything else? And then you apply that to the entire world where you get this kind of complicated world where you're making microchips, you're making video equipment. Doing all that stuff. And nobody asks the question, what does it do to the human body? Yeah. Meaning what does it do to the environment? What does it do to the food that you eat? Agreed. And what does it do to us? That's what I'm saying. When you're looking at the phthalates thing, it makes all the sense to the world to me. Somebody who's done software and you're coming into a system and you need to learn how that system works. That system is unwieldy. The system is all over the place. There's some things that are somewhat defects in the system that don't work the way you expect them to. And you need to make changes to that system. So you go in and you say, okay, I'm going to change this from this. Does it affect the entire system? You have oh. no idea. Because all things being equal, something can be tap- taking place that's whittling like you're away. trying to
2: solve one thing
1: and it breaks and something else. And you
2: might fix this thing. And
1: breaks something else. I see. And you okay. may not even know that the other thing is broken until 20, oh. 30, 40 years when somebody is working on the application and like, hey, this number. Don't a glitch? Yeah, it's like a you glitch. Like a glitch. Yeah, it's like, Where did this glitch come from and somebody who was whittling away at the code just like you 20, 30 years before had did some little bit to fix something else, that broke something else? I'm saying that it's software, which is magnificently less complicated than the human body, the human biome, meaning what we're living in, then how do we avoid that? And I guess my thing is you can't. You don't. Meaning you're always stuck with this thing that your reality is this kind of black box where we don't even know. If the other people that we're engaging with are real, let alone what is taking place that somebody—you may not even meet the person. The person may be hungry years in the past, and the person might have done something, fixed something, updated something, tweaked something. The
2: butterfly effect.
1: Yes, but in real terms. Creepy. And if you think about it, it's more likely to be true, not less. That's that's true. Think of um, the—what is the thing called? The the thing that we were breaking—the ozone layer. We had no idea we were putting holes in the ozone layer. We
2: had no idea. Our hairspray.
1: No idea. Exactly. Something as insignificant as a hairspray, and it is basically was destroying yes. the ozone layer. Okay, right. what does it mean for the human biology? And what does it mean for our biome?
2: There's a straight-up hole in Australia.
1: Yes. Yes, in real terms. And I guess that's what I'm getting at with the, with the organelle, I mean, with the plastic stuff. I mean, yes. It may be plastic, but plastic is just the thing that we found. Right. It's kind of like the, you know, the... the. the
2: I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because you're looking at this as a, a software person's exactly. lens.
1: Yes. And I look at the world as being far more complex than any other software that we're basically building. That's I,
2: an interesting but, perspective. From
1: my perspective, and, it was infinitely, not just possible, likely.
2: Now, I will just say, apart from this one bottle, yeah. I have tried to mitigate how much plastic I serve food on or drink from at oh, home. there's no way out. Because I was like, ah! there's
1: no way out. You get into your car, you're inhaling something. I know. You walk it on the street, like, you're inhaling something. And
2: then, so I'm just reading a couple chapters. I'm already like overly paranoid about yeah. going. Everything I'm touching, I'm I'm absorbing it through my skin. That's right. Uh, the plastic. The hand lotion I'm using, yeah. how much How much plastic has that lotion itself absorbed by being in a plastic bottle? Yes. Just everything. Now I'm like, Even the food. oh that my God, eat. I'm going to go insane.
1: Uh, you go and you get fish. That fish is swimming in the water with all sorts of stuff that you put in. You go and get steak, depending upon where you're getting that steak from. it's that from oh. Iceland where they basically kill you don't the cow? do fish
2: from the Potomac, though. I'll tell you that much. You know, there's a how warning, right? How would you ever know?
1: I know. I mean, that's the rub. Like, there's no way for, for any of us to know. What we're eating, what we're consuming, if we go right, out to get something to eat. The sourcing it. The sourcing you it. Don't n- know. You don't know. Even any of you that stuff. Even if you think you're
2: going like fishing in wild Alaska. Yeah. You still don't know. That's what freaks that me out fish-
1: about the genetic mutation of food or mutil- um, updates of food. Even um, ozone changes, meaning yeah, the things that we're doing.
2: And to, we won't know. Like you said, you're right. We Well, we global
1: dimming, know. cutting down the nutritional content in our food itself, meaning the carbon monoxide that gets pumped up into the air or the carbon gets pumped into the air adversely affects the food itself because we're putting so much into it. So the food is eating almost like becomes a junk food type of thing because the plants are basically consuming more than what would typically be put out. Like all of those things have effects. All of those things have effects. And all of those things affect us in ways that we can't necessarily predict. That book, I would suspect, is dead on. And I suspect... That that book could be written by multiple authors on multiple different yeah, things. Yeah, which this, into things
2: this um, Israeli study mm-hmm. is just right in line with Dr. Shana yes. Swan, what she published in this book. Um, I think I bought it earlier this year, so she probably pu- published her paper yeah. like a year or two before that. Yeah. Um, but now all I can think... <laughs> is the Dave Matthews band song. Yeah. The Space Between. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> space Between.
2: That's all I'm thinking. The Space. Is that what Dave Matthews was singing about? No, I don't know.
0: <laughs> space we,
2: Between. I, we ate, up, we ate between. up your monologue time. But this is an interesting well, no. perspective from a software
1: developer's... Well, I mean, the monologue you know, could be on ends. anything. I was even going to think about doing it on um the moon. Oh, ah, the Artemis thing? Yeah, because that's... Look, that's I, weird, I wow off of those things. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's... The ability for scientific advancement. Why are we
2: going back there?
1: Well, I was going to play the Kennedy speech, and I was going to make this point of saying, okay, this was like 50 years ago. Like, so it's still interesting. Yeah. But we should be at Mars.
2: But, yeah, why are we going back to the moon? We've already been there, as Hillary Clinton said, right? Yeah. When we came, we saw.
1: I I guess they would say scientific research in lieu of maybe putting a base there that's permanent.
2: Oh, yeah. And the Um, Chinese are, too.
1: Yes. Well, they've been they, on the dark side sent, of the moon. They went to the, dark
2: side, the far side. Yeah. The far side of the moon. And so there are parallel space programs to Which sort sucks. of colonize. Which sucks. Colonize the moon. Which, I mean, are we really going to have a Chinese side of the moon? A Russian know, side of the moon? Are we going to d- divide up the moon? and Be like, okay, these are Russians. That's these are Chinese, what I don't, this like, is American. These
1: capitalistic forays into space. And, and maybe. So
2: your Star Trek future is not looking very like It's more let me like the expanse.
1: You. It's more like the expense, where these things are competing, fighting, they're throwing asteroids at Earth in order to destroy Earth and all of this other stuff. It becomes more like that. I hate this idea that we're basically breaking up our resources in order to go to the moon. Whereas we're taking this kind of nonsense that we had on the planet and we're taking it to a celestial body at this point. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that. A thousand times I hate that. I love when I see stuff like the space flights and stuff like that though. Because for me it's the best of human capability put towards a scientific pursuit. And I get that all things but equal. When the moon race was taking place. That was purely, I mean, even in JFK's speech, freedom and justice and make sure that space is open for everybody else. He's talking about the Soviets.
2: <laughs> like it's super egotistical. Like, it is. It's just like national pride. But it's,
1: it's this eight pointing at the moon as we're going to the moon. And it's like we've just started using tools um, and from the galactic standpoint. A blip of time. No, I, I'm always impressed by that stuff.
2: Our, but look, our rumble room told us the medical term of taint yeah. is perineum. Perineum. I forgot. I did learn that in biology class perineum. 20-something years ago. I want to hear my doctor perineum. say taint.
1: sir." I need to measure your taint.
2: Right, yeah,
1: yeah. Just to say taint. <laughs> for scientific research. Like, miss, I don't think this is entirely for scientific research, but go for it.
2: We all have a taint. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: just, just funny. I'm shocked perineum. that she's measuring that. That's awesome. Perineum. Um, But look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. Paradium. Um, You guys are listening to the Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Taub. This Vanilla Chan. Back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines Fault Lines Welcome
1: back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas, joined with Manila Chan, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform um, you're listening to this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you'd like to engage in the show, you can catch us on um, on radio. I'm sorry, by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. I want to bring in our guests. We're joined by the one and only Mark Sloboda. He's an international relations and security analyst. Mark, welcome to the show, my man. How are you doing this morning?
3: Tomorrow, Manila. Thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on Fault Lines.
1: It is always an honor and a pleasure to have you. Um, Mark, I want to go into the missile strikes for a moment before we go into anything else. Um, Those missile strikes were, to call it devastating, is an understatement. Now, Russia has basically made the point of saying they hit all their targets. Zelensky has said that they've intercepted 70 out of, let's say, 90-something, despite the fact that they own up to the fact that, basically, their math is off, to put it mildly. Um, I guess they're trying to say that they were intercepted by all sorts of electrical grids and everything else, um, as opposed to the missiles. Uh, Give me your take on, on the effect of this, and why is Russia doing it in this way? Is this a cat and mouse to evaluate Basically, their capability to repair their energy systems for a larger assault later? Is that what's going on as opposed to just a sustained assault? Give me your take.
3: Yeah, so first of all, a day ago, right, uh, there was over, uh, according to uh, the Kiev regime, there were over 100 cruise missile strikes, right? These were all air and naval launched uh, cruise missiles. Wait for it. Today, there were another 80 strikes, including uh, cruise missiles and drone strikes and a great deal of these were at the kiev regime's electrical infrastructure in an attempt to inhibit its military logistics and there were also some new targets however uh, for instance for the first times the headquarters of the uh, kiev regime's ukrainian armed forces were hit in kiev uh, th- this is the first I think definitive strike against what the u s would call command and control or decision making centers uh, so so that is uh, significant and and new uh, second of all i I think we can see that the results are certainly paying off after each wave of strikes. Russia is assessing the damage done, the kev regime's ability to repair it um and it should also be noted that there are the potential there's this is a, a controversy actually in Russia there are um parts of the system the system that Russia knows well because it was built during the Soviet Union it's very uh, robust heavily redundant system but uh Russia certainly knows how to take it apart and they're doing so in such a way primarily targeting 330 volt uh uh, uh substation transformers that They believe that they can take the system out without doing, in the long-term, unrepairable damage. There is other things that they could be doing, and a lot of um, experts in Russia are saying, no, hit this, hit this. This will take it out forever. It'll never come back. And Russia is being very uh, systemic but pointed uh, in taking out things that are— Removing the Kiev regime's ability to repair it, right? They're losing that ability, and they've just announced that today. Actually, yesterday uh, they were announcing that that they they're losing the ability to repair the system. They're simply out of out of parts, and while preserving the ability to repair the system in total at some time in the future, if those parts become available, so uh, that is, I think, characteristic of the way Russia has done its escalation in this conflict, which is to say that even when it escalates, it is still by a limited degree. But
1: are you expecting a larger offensive later on that plays into these strikes? Meaning,
3: Oh, yes, this is this is obviously a preparation for what is going to be a winter offensive. It is not clear whether it is going to be an early winter offensive or a late winter offensive, but you can definitely, I mean, Russia did not call up 300,000 reservists and, and uh, tens of thousands of more volunteers to, to sit on them. They, they will go on the offensive sometime this winter, uh, whether that is now, whether that is uh, in January, late February like last year, but sometime once the ground is frozen in Ukraine, uh, this is obviously preparation for that.
1: I see. I see. Is part of that going to be blowing the Dnieper Bridge? There's been talk about basically that this is going to be one of the tactics that takes place. I, I'm, give me your take on
3: this. OK, so, I mean, there are a number of of bridges across the Dnieper and certainly the Anantovsky uh, Bridge in Kherson, which the Kiev regime had already been targeting for months and which Russia had tried for months to protect and repair and then blew it up themselves when when retreating there are other bridges across and there has been some suggestion that that Russia has refrained from strike, uh, striking bridges uh along the Niper again whether it's out of a uh in the first first season of of this military uh, campaign out of an overabundance of wanting to restrict civilian damage according to the terms of the smo or because they intended to launch offensives and they've had a reassessment since the amount of um uh, nato equipment flowing into the country but certainly part of the idea is that this would inhibit The free flow of Western military equipment all the way across Ukraine, because most of it's coming in from Poland Um, and from there in Poland, it has basically got to go pretty much all the way across the country, whether we were talking the south or primarily the east, in order to be brought into where the conflict is taking place. Uh, The argument is if Russia takes out the bridges across the Dnieper, it several locations that will severely inhibit the ability to not only move troops around but primarily to move the uh, western equipment that is provided around um and it's it's any one question whether that will be acted on but it is certainly something that is being very widely discussed which means uh, certainly the uh, the top military leadership uh you know suravik and uh answerable at this point pretty much only to the president and and Directly is considering it
2: now, Mark. I'm curious about what you know. Not only the media spin of these these old uh, S300 uh, uh, defense air defense systems that Ukraine has, and the media spin about uh, well, ultimately it's still the Russians are at fault. It's <laughs> I don't know. We we even heard Lloyd Austin, the SecDef, literally lay the blame of that missile landing in Poland. At the feet of Russia, without any explanation as to how, but in any case, the other day when when Russia was pounding uh, Kiev, and I don't know if they were shooting towards uh, shooting missiles towards Lviv, or at any rate, the Russians are coming from the east. How does a an S three hundred missile air defense go? to the west Poland is to the west of them. if they are trying to defend against in Russian incoming, how does it go to the left?
3: okay so I mean it, it's not always quite that clear all right the S300 is going to should be locking on a target setting a trajectory course to intercept it and the the target could have been a uh, path if were we assuming the S300 system was in Kiev or somewhere in western ukraine the actual target russia has said that they're not targeting anything within i believe it's uh more than a couple dozen kilometers of the polish border but that is still an amount of space the air defense system could have been somewhere between where the strike was uh you know basically to the east of the strike uh but we have seen i mean s 300 is a Good air defense system by any standards. However, the models that the Kiev regime has are older. Their missile interceptors are older. They've actually had to scrounge them from other countries that were using the S-300 because they've only got a few left. They've, they've most have either been destroyed or they've used up uh, most of the interceptor missiles. And there are indications that they probably actually fired two missiles. A usual... Um, Soviet slash Russian, and we must assume Ukrainian, uh, to send two interceptors after a missile to double tap it to make sure it is hit. And uh, both appear to have gone awry. And there is, has been, particularly under the Kiev regime, again, these are older models, older missiles, uh, they've had a a high uh, and, and quite dramatic failure rate. Um, We saw an incident in March where a Kiev regime S-300 took out a Romanian make. Very similar. It was obviously locked – the missile locked onto the wrong target, and that was quickly brushed under the carpet, and everyone forgot it. There have been a number of such incidences, and in a number of instances, either the missiles uh, fell or uh, misfired – and hit residential buildings uh, quite often in Kiev and elsewhere. And there was has often been the attempt to say that Russia is targeting residential buildings yes. with their missiles that they are running out of, we keep hearing. Well, uh, neither is actually the case. Now, there have been a handful of incidences where a number of buildings were being used as military barracks for foreign mercenaries or uh, officers, and they were hit. They were d- intentionally hit. In several other of those incidences, though, it is actually the Kiv regime's air defense that has hit those buildings um, you know, by accident, oh, of, man. of course, But the intent was to blame Russia. And there's quite a number of of absolutely absurd Western articles out there trying to argue that Russia had been using the S-300 air defense system as an offensive weapon to fire missiles. The logic goes – I mean, they've been arguing this since March – because that they have run out of missiles, right? Quite obviously, right? A hundred yesterday, another 50 or so today, right? But what is actually happening? This is an absurd defense of simply the Kiev regime's air defense missiles missing their target or falling and and hitting residential buildings. And, you know, it's just like ultimately Russia's responsible because if Russia hadn't fired the missiles, their missiles, then we wouldn't have had to fire our air defense missiles so we can blame <laughs> them anyway. Whose missiles are they? It's Ukraine. Who's responsible? <laughs> Russia. Right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, from that lot, you know, because if Russia hadn't launched the missiles, hadn't invaded, then they wouldn't have been the circumstance anyway. And Russia can turn around and was saying, if, if you hadn't openly backed the overthrow of the government in Kiev in a porch in 2014, with Vicky Newland handing out cookies to neo Nazis on the Maidan, then then we wouldn't be in this situation either. So I mean that that but, argument's not. Neo Nazis <laughs> get hungry it's too much.
2: That's that is true. The neo Nazis do. They get hungry. They like cookies too. They like too. cookies. They're people too, sort of. It's the rest of us that are subhuman. Yeah. Uh, Mark. Last thing on that is is it seems like for the first time the. The West, except for Lloyd Austin, seems to acknowledge that okay, so the Russians didn't bomb Poland, they didn't attack Poland, but Volodymyr Zelensky is still saying, "No, nah, it's not ours."
1: Oh yeah, he lied.
2: It's not ours. We' <laughs> didn't do it. Lied. No, even even I mean, yeah. after the fact, after yeah. people were like, "Wait a minute, yeah, that came from yeah, Ukraine." Yeah, he doubled down. He doubled yeah. down yeah. overnight. He was like, "No, he no, no, out.
3: that's not mine." Now it's it's only in the last few hours that he's suddenly not one hundred percent sure. Uh, But no one else can be either. He's he's slowly backtracking at this point. But that comes after this statement from an anonymous Western diplomat speaking to the Financial Times. This is getting ridiculous. The official told the Financial Times on Wednesday, the Ukrainians are destroying our confidence in them. Nobody is blaming Ukraine and they are openly lying. This is more destructive than the missile. This is from a Western diplomat speaking to the Financial Times. And it's not that they lied. It's that they continued lying after the West actually admitted the truth. And they have become so used to and expectant that the West will back them up and say whatever absurd lie that they utter is the God's honest truth, that they are just all kinds of nonplussed and huffed. That the West is daring not to back them up on this, right? They're like petulant little child. Zelensky's like, no, I said it was this. You're supposed to back me up on that, right? It's what's you her know, name uh, on Willy
2: Wonka? Yeah,
1: it's like if you ain't black, you ain't vote for me. You just get so accustomed to it.
2: I feel like that's who he is. What's that little girl's name on Willy Wonka? The 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 bratty one that f- eventually falls in the chocolate vat.
1: I don't remember her name. That's,
3: but that's what that it puts was me. a boy that fell Violet. in the chocolate vat. Okay. She ate the bubble.
2: Oh, she ate the bubble.
3: But basically,
1: he's so used to people backing him up on nonsense yes, that he's just shocked
3: that they wouldn't get this third world war going.
2: What? You're you're saying it's mine.
1: You mean we can't start the third world war?
3: Is that what you guys are saying? The West West is now like. Come on, you didn't take the cues. This one we're not lying (laughs) about because we're not ready for World War III yet. Hint,
1: hint. Um, Yeah, it's like, take the hint, bro. Um, Another question on the missile system, the S-300 that these guys are using. Information warfare or electronic warfare. Like um, in Syria, for example, Russia was able to basically jam signals and everything else on the weapon systems, especially since these things are basically targeted and precision-guided weapon systems. Is something like that taking place in Ukraine. And is that part and parcel to the reason why these missiles are missing um, so much? I mean, yeah, they're old, but is that also an element of it?
3: Yeah, yeah. I I don't think so in this particular situation, simply because of the range of this. Obviously, these are very close uh, to to Kiev regime targets, often on the other side of the country from where Russia is. And Russia, even Western military experts uh, acknowledge, has very... Advanced electronic warfare, more advanced than ours uh, systems because they've spent money on it uh, where the U.S. has kind of neglected that field because they haven't been expecting to be hit by missiles for quite some time, decades of warfare. Um, uh, But it has to be within a certain range. Uh, even for Russia's advanced systems, and they're primarily used on incoming offensive weapons. So I do not believe that this is it's possible that Russia is targeting Ukraine's own air defense missiles on the far side of the country on this. There is, of course, the you know, the, if you want to say, the conspiracy theory or the speculation, that the Kiev regime might have actually fired those air defense missiles into Poland on purpose. I was to that. try to as a false flag to draw draw them in. You know, the, the West was very careful to say, you know, it, it was a Ukrainian air defense missile, but it was an accident. We we're sure it was an accident. And that's that's very definitive. Um and there's every possibility it was, but there is a possibility it was not too. And the U.S. knows, and uh, they're certainly not going to release, be that honest, uh, if that was the case.
1: Yeah, that crossed my mind yesterday. Because, I, I mean, for me, in situations like this, you get into the a level or a situation where you think to yourself, OK, we're losing this. And until or unless we're able to get somebody else further involved into the conflict, Western powers, for example, um, we've lost it. And regardless of what the nonsense Zelensky is basically saying, um, about the war, I think all things being equal, they have to be some kind of sober military assessment taking place somewhere where it comes up of we are screwed unless we can get the West further ensconced into this conflict.
3: I think it's coming from Mark Milley very quietly, from from the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the U.S. Because he, I think, is well aware that Ukraine is at their their zenith point, right? Their peak. They their counteroffensive is peaked. They've blown everything that they had. Russia has called up 300,000 reservists who are coming into the theater, and every single uh, week you are hearing more and more articles talking about how, uh, from the West, talking about how the West is running out of um, weapon systems, out of ammunition, out of things to provide the Kiev regime with, um, and uh, that that they're simply <laughs> Uh, uh, Artillery shells is one of the biggest examples because this is a very heavy artillery conflict. And the Kiv regime is all out of the Soviet legacy artillery systems and shells that they started the conflict with. They've all either run out or been destroyed, and they're entirely reliant on Western artillery shells. And by their own accounts, as of a few months ago, before they started the counteroffensive, they were firing five to 6,000 artillery shells a day, and Russia was firing some fifty to 60,000 artillery shells a day. And when you hear things like, oh, the U.S. just scrounged up another 100,000, 155-millimeter artillery shells that they're trying to get from South Korea – you see that they're really scrounging that they they simply don't have more artillery shells in in stock because they they weren't prepared for this type of warfare and because their military industrial complex was geared towards high-end boondoggles and counterterrorism it would take them years to to start to spin up for this type of industrial warfare they they weren't prepared for this type of war and they're, they're running out of, of artillery shells. So they're scraping around the world, you know, U.S. stockpiles in South Korea uh, to try to fill it. But even that, at, at Kiev regime's firing rate a couple months ago, that's gonna last 20 days, not even 20 days. And that is not even two days worth of what Russia is firing to give you a scale of the conflict that, that is being waged in these artillery and trench battles in eastern Ukraine.
2: Now, Mark, are you hearing, since you're much closer to the action than we are, are you hearing out there of um, maybe greater calls for peace talks? Maybe, you know, the Polish, are they still, you know, immediately after, you know, the, the missile hit, they were like, okay, hair on fire, time to time to uh, initiate the group, hit up, act, uh, activate, Article four, All right, let's activate article five. And they've since pulled back. Do you think now the group is talking about, hey, maybe, maybe we should uh, push, push this kid to talk, to go back to the negotiating table and, 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 and talk things out?
3: Yeah, I, I think we've seen that. I mean, particularly from Mark Milley in the administration, weird that the Pentagon, the Defense Department, the military is the one being the voice for, calling for diplomacy here.
1: Oh, see, I don't think that's weird at all.
3: I mean, it, well, they, well, Anthony Blinken at the State Department is, you know, like war with Russia until well, the, it, the last Ukrainian.
1: Well, the military is stuck with a realistic assessment. They
3: have to. They know what's coming and they realize that Kiev is at a high water mark. And what's coming, they're not going to be able to counter anymore. In terms, of the manpower advantage is going away, and they're winning out of re- weapons to send. But I got to tell you that while Russia has the uh, official diplomatic position that you know they are always open to negotiations, diplomacy, albeit on the terms that we set out in the beginning, which you know the Kiev regime has made it clear again and again are not acceptable. Uh, and actually, the Russians' terms uh, have have certainly gotten worse since then because they also now consider Kherson and Zaporozhia to be part of Russia. Uh, Russia is 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 uh, not really ready for diplomacy. They just called up one hundred, three hundred thousand yeah. reservists. Let's be honest; they're going to use them. Yeah, they're going to win us on well, the battlefield. Well, the DOD,
2: part. so far, I mean, there are journalists out there doing the math about how much money we we the U.S. has sent them, and we're we're close to a hundred billion at this point. We're at like ninety one point six or eight or something like that. We're, let's just round it up. Round it up to a hundred billion total between. Money. Yeah, one hundred and
3: twenty billion by the end of
2: the year. Exactly.
3: Wow. This
2: is we are outpacing our own war in Afghanistan. Russia doesn't spend this
3: much on their military. This is
2: greater than Russia's entire military military per year. Yeah, talk to us about this money, Mark. Like where where is this all going besides going into FTX and you know laundering it through and sending it back to the Democrats.
3: Well, we know a lot of weapons are being <laughs> sold to jihadists. We, we know that um, a uh, neo-Nazi Azov spinoff got a hold of some of these weapons in Italy and, and was planning terrorist attacks. And that's all now being Wait, quietly hushed up.
1: Yeah. Italian police foiled deadly plot by neo-Nazis linked to Ukraine's Azov oh battalion. Oh, my God. I, I
2: missed that one.
3: Yeah. I mean, well, that's kind of the inevitable. I mean, that, that was like, duh. I mean, Azov has a plan. An ideological plan. It's online for the Reconquista, the fascist revolution in Europe and the United States once they finish with Ukraine and Russia. I mean, I mean, they're trying to tell us, oh, but these guys aren't neo-Nazis anymore, right? You know, they're, they're kinder, gentler neo-Nazis who are just bent on fascist revolutions in, in, in our countries. But out of that U.S. spending, one thing really stuck out of me, a detail I noticed in The Hill yesterday. The new package of, of some $27 billion that Biden is asking for, there's an earmark in there for uh nearly a billion dollars to be spent on health care for Ukrainians. What? Now, all I'm thinking we don't is have healthcare you can't here. even you can't even get the American right. taxpayers that are paying for this government we funded health But you can get it to Ukraine. You <laughs> you, are you getting... can make you can make sure oh that the neo-Nazi RADA member Andrei Bolitsky gets his health care. <laughs> You are wow. giving
1: health care to neo-Nazis that, before your own country.
2: That takes the damn cake.
1: Yes, that That does it? Yeah. That is <laughs> astonishing. You are look, When I remember when I was in Israel and I was I needed to get payments. And I remember paying less for the meds in Israel than I did yeah, in the US, despite the fact I'm insurance. Canada, you're, same you're thing. you You're doing that to
2: Ukraine? Yeah. You're hooking Ukrainians up with health care, uh, but screw Americans.
1: Mark, thanks, man. Mark Sloboda. International Relations and Security analyst. You can follow Mark on Twitter at sloboda one Definitely check out his new YouTube channel on uh, RealPolitik with Mark Slobota. That's on YouTube. You can find him on Facebook.com slash Gramsci. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Chan back in a moment. Fault
0: Lines. Fault Lines.
1: Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe, welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner, I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas.
2: And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan.
1: That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. I'm just going to say I am outraged by that last...
2: Three minutes marks the book. Me too.
1: I mean, look, oftentimes as a lefty, we're told you can't get this to pass. There's no reason to do it. There's no money. We
2: don't have it. We don't have the money.
1: We don't have the money for it. And then on a whim
2: 12 years we've been fighting about this for Medicare for all. 12 years.
1: It's an issue of values. I mean, if you're talking about what $400 billion they did with education, you've just dropped $120 billion in Ukraine over a year. And you did it on the whim. You didn't Less think than twice a year, about they it. They just
2: decided probably in this last bill, so it's probably been talked about for... All of eight weeks, yeah, and just maybe? bam,
1: here's a hundred and twenty billion dollars. When they said, get rid of homelessness, we can't do that, right. we can't come up with Same. a reason or rationale to do that.
2: Leave it to Mark Sloboda to enlighten us, yes, because I stopped trying to read these bills like when I noticed we kept sending money to right. Ukraine. I just gave up because I was
1: like, this is we've doubled uh, the Russian uh, military budget, it's
2: crazy for I, a year. I gave up reading these bills. And then for, like, How do you justify
1: through? that when you lose, like, meaning at, at the point? This is going to get settled on the battlefield. If I just called up 300,000 troops, I'm not negotiating with you. That's my indication that I'm not.
2: I suppose this is why they're trying to do reparations
1: for for Ukraine Ukraine by
2: way of seizing Russian assets.
1: I'll tell you this. The moment that you put your hands on Russian assets, Russia is most likely going to put their hands on your assets in their own country. I agree. And look, if you're going to take 300 billion, I'm pretty sure they have 300 billion worth of companies in the U.S. There's a lot
2: of private money that that America is looking at seizing, including um, oligarch Yes. Whoever they consider super wealthy. I just
1: so happen to be a Russian. I just so happen to be rich. And so let's just put our hands on that guy. I have nothing to do with the Russian government. I'm just a Russian citizen. And you're stealing. What does that mean for America? Like, I'm an import export
2: guy. I own a villa in Italy. You're seizing it? And
1: you're going to seize my villa? I have no connection with the Russian government at all. I mean, think about what that means for America if the countries, let's say Iraq started doing that. Well, we're going to take reparations. So we're going to do X and
0: Y. Are you insane?
2: That just unheard of. All so of this is now, now. Now it's starting to make more sense. Is because okay, we have to seize Russian foreign funds, mm-hmm. private citizens' assets, super yachts, villas, yeah. things like that, to to pay because we I don't know that we want to replenish our coffers it could because be that. we're giving Ukrainians health care, but not our own people and this is how you launder the information so the American people don't get mad at me. I'm being Joe Biden right yeah. now. So they uh, don't... Uh, uh, come on, man.
1: <laughs> right. Jack. <laughs> there was something I was going to say there. Jack. I can't remember. So I just, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs>
2: That's the I, space filler. Come I on, man. I swear, Jack. man. Jack. Jack. Hey, Jack. So
1: aggravating. It's aggravating on so many levels.
2: Health care for all Ukrainians.
1: We can't get rid of homelessness. We can't get rid of poverty. We can't get rid of, I mean, they tried no. to give $300 a month in order to see the kids oh. were raised. We can't get that done. We
2: can't feed we, kids at school. We can't we're feed kids We're taking away school lunch, but we're going to do hashtag Medicare for all Ukrainians.
1: Don't tell me again that we can't afford it. Don't tell me that we can't afford it. Meaning don't tell me that we can't afford to get rid of homelessness or pay for education. Meaning get rid of this notion of um, kids paying, what, $50,000, $60,000 $60, a year Even if you're not looking
2: at the college kids because you don't feel bad for them, how about feeling bad for the little kids at dilapidated schools yes. licking lead paint off the walls yes. with terrible lead pipes?
1: Or worse, Give just drinking book. lead water. If you're talking about Chicago, like you're talking pipe. about New um uh, or, uh, You're Michigan. telling
2: me you can't fix the infrastructure at school in poor neighborhoods. That's what
1: Obama told those people when he took that sip of lead water in Michigan. Do you remember that? Obama's sitting there. safe. Yeah. And he's like, get it's out. safe. I mean, give me some water. Give me some water. GTFO,
2: I, GTFO.
1: And it's like, well, the government can't really get involved to do this. That's a state the problem. This is not a federal thing. Yeah.
2: Get. Out of
1: 120 here. billion dollars get to Ukraine. Out of here. That's amazing. Get out don't, of here with don't that. Don't tell me that we can't afford it. Don't like tell I Don't, don't ever, 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 tell me again that we can't afford but it.
2: But let's keep voting for Joe Biden.
1: Oh, you never get me to tell anybody to vote for Joe oh, Biden. It
4: won't me By the
1: way, I went to the doctor yesterday and I remember the woman was telling me, she was like, look. I'm not voting for any of these people anymore. She's like, I don't see the point. She said, like, I talked to many people who come in here. She's talking to African Americans. She was like, many of those people are perfectly okay with Trump. She says, Really? My vote doesn't matter. She says, I would go out there, I would stand for X amount of time. And she says, I don't see how it changes. She said, I'm working two jobs. Right. I don't see how any of those things affect um or being so affected she's by my vote. Abstain? She says, I'm done.
2: Okay. She's she says just I'm done. a non-voter.
1: And that's kind of my point. Like, But she wasn't a non-voter up until, let's say, Trump last term. I mean, she was a Democratic voter. For life. For life, by definition.
2: Until this point.
1: Until this point. And this is not the only argument I've heard. I told you my ex-wife's um, dad, same right. thing. I could never vote for a Republican. And then he gets to the point, I'm done. I'm done. All of them are sick and tired of this idea that they're backing a particular party, and that doesn't come back to them. Meaning they don't necessarily see any kind of result from the fact that they're supporting... There's no
2: return on investment. There's no return on
1: investment. It's that. It's that. You want me to donate money to you? You you want me to give you support? And yet... Text messages
2: like, send us $5, Manila.
1: And the only argument that they ultimately make is, got to keep Republicans out of office, so vote for us. Right. She was like, yeah, that's insufficient. Whether it's a Republican or whether it's a Democrat, it doesn't matter. And that's, you know, I think that's the thing that I think Democrats need to reconcile. The part and parcel to the reason that they lose, like a Sanders was able to get all those people jizzed up and revved up for politics. Might not have been enough to win, but he was able to do it. Joe Biden can't fill a all that,
2: that The Medicare thing, this is where Sorry, you and I, we have a lot of ideological and political differences. But, but on this agree. one, yeah. this is the overlap, yeah. right? Where it's so upsetting that you see this much money. Being sent over there, whatever over there is, but it, in this case, it's Ukraine. Yeah. And straight up healthcare, how, what does that even mean? Yeah, what, does that mean you're sending like doctors over there? Mm-hmm. Does that mean you're sending medical supplies? Yeah. Does that what does that mean? You're giving healthcare to Ukraine? What does that mean? Define that.
1: Yeah. Be specific about that. What that? How did money breaks because down? Because yeah.
2: all we know is we're not getting any of that here.
1: No, no. No, we're not. Oh, that's not even like
2: here's a free band aid from the federal government. God, like, as a lefty that. man, that
1: is aggravating to be told. For all of those years, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We have no reason to basically do this. And now, all of a sudden, less than a year, bam, 120 billion dollars. Let's get to headlines. I, just saying, that's madly um, uh. aggravating. Um, in the news, the Republicans finally, finally, after what, a week clinched control of the U.S. House of Representatives after four years' worth of Democratic leadership in the chamber. Election results confirmed late Wednesday. The grand old party, the GOP, needed to acquire 218 seats in order to gain the majority in the Lord Chamber. It managed to do so after re-election of Representative Mike Garcia in California's 27th District. I love that a Republican in California was the one that clinched it. Yes. The majority call has been on pause since Monday when Republicans remained stuck at 217 seat count. The GOP only needed to win over five seats from Democrats in order to come out winning and oust South Speaker Nancy Pelosi. At present, Democrats have control of 210 seats, but several races have yet to be called. And Pelosi is apparently going to give a speech today about what's expected of her, meaning where is she going to go now that she has lost the big gavel. We will see. The U.S. Senate on Wednesday advanced bipartisan legislation granting federal protections to same-sex and interracial marriages in the United States. Senators voted to advance the Respect for Marriage Act, for, with a 62-37 vote setting the stage for passage of the upper chamber of Congress. A total of 60 votes are needed to limit debate on the legislation. The bill requires the U.S. federal government to recognize a marriage between two individuals if the marriage was valid in the state where it was performed and guarantees full faith and credit between states and valid marriages. Well, yeah, I didn't have this belief that Republicans were trying to do anything towards same-sex marriages. I thought at that point it was a done deal. Having a conversation with the same person at the doctor's office, she was like, so Republicans are trying to give her the same-sex marriages. And I pointed out to her, I have a hard time believing that that is going to be true. There's some things that are bipartisan and are settled. And I don't necessarily think that's a, let's say, a um, door that Republicans want to open. I would imagine same-sex marriages is one of them. Let's keep going. The conclusions made in Monday's Carbon Tracker report describing investment in African fossil fuel industry as high risk are, quote, a sentimental approach to selling politically motivated point, unquote, said Dr. Wisdom Patrick Inang, Nigerian oil and gas consultant in an interview with, with Sputnik. Quote, I'd see the report being published without actually looking at the African side of the story. The report doesn't have a balanced view, unquote, the expert said, adding that Africa, quote, will write its own history, unquote, taking into consideration the balance between achieving clean energy and energy security and sustainability. Like I said, the West can't wag their finger at some of these countries after being the main purveyors of climate change around the globe. And if you are going to get these countries to do something, let's say, less than what is in their best interest, probably going to have to pay. You're going to have to take some loss in that in order to help those other countries out, developing economies. Let's keep going. A wrong-way driver outside of Los Angeles struck a group of law enforcement recruits while they were jogging on Wednesday. 25 of the recruits were injured, including five who were critically injured. The uh, the crash occurred around 6.25 a.m. local time on Wednesday. Shot down the street from Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, Star Explorer Training Academy, and Whittier, California. The injuries sustained by the recruits include head trauma, broken bones, and loss of limbs. Jeez. Sheriff Alex Villanueva said one recruit is on a ventilator. The driver was detained at the scene and suffered minor injuries. Authorities are not determined because of the crash and noted they did not smell alcohol on the driver. Officials are investigating if other drugs may have been a factor. The 22-year-old driver reportedly said he slept sleepy before the crash. Wow. Fell asleep. Jeez. In international news. Chinese President Xi Jinping appeared to reprimand Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Wednesday for disclosing private discussions to the news media in an informal exchange of words partially capturing and video recording in a busy lobby area in the G27 in Bali. Quote, everything we discuss is leaked to the paper. That is not appropriate. Unquote. Xi's interpreter in English near the start of the clip added, quote, that is not the way the conversation was conducted. Unquote. Trudeau is her responding that, quote, in Canada, we believe in free and open, frank dialogue, unquote, adding that they would, quote, work constructively together, but there will be things that we disagree on, unquote. So let me get this straight. Any conversation with Trudeau is an open and free conversation that there is no way. That Justin Trudeau could talk to a world leader where the things that they talk about just stay between them. Is that what you're telling me? That basically any and every conversation, even if it was just between you and it was between some other random leader, is subject and open to disclosure. Is that what you're telling me? That no world leaders with Justin Trudeau has the ability to have a private conversation. That is astonishing. That is completely astonishing. Justin Trudeau is talking out of his ass. And that's exactly what he's talking out of at this point when he's saying that. That's appalling. Come on here. You can come up with a better reason that that was leaked than that. Come up with a better reason. Give me a better lie, Trudeau. The Iranian Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Wednesday confirmed the release of two Greek tankers that were seized on May 27th this year. The Greek Minister for Shipping and Island Policy Giannis Batakis announced the release of the vessels earlier on Wednesday and I apologize for butchering that last name. Let's keep going. Sweden's parliament is forced through a constitutional amendment that will make it possible to pass tougher anti-terror laws which has been demanded by Turkey if um, it's approval if it approves Stockholm's bid to join NATO. The amendment passed with an overwhelming majority, with only the left party opposing, makes it possible to introduce new laws to, quote, limit freedom of association when it comes to organizations that engage in terrorism or support it, unquote. According to the parliament's own standing constitutional committee, which recommended the MPs Green like the proposal, it would enable, quote, wider criminalization of participation in terrorist organization or ban against terrorist organization, unquote. We'll see how this works out in practice. I mean, Sweden is basically going to have to give up members of a terrorist group that, well, a group, PKK, that consider terrorist groups. We'll see if they do it. I was always skeptical on whether or not they would go through with this, But we'll see. Um, Worldwide average sperm counts are, quote, falling at an accelerated rate after having over the last 40 years, unquote. According to a new study led by Israeli epidemiologist Hagi Levine, sperm counts are not only an indicator of fertility, but also male health in general. A low count, may may indicate an increased risk of chronic disease, testicular cancer, and a decreased lifespan, researchers said. Quote, overall, we're seeing a significant worldwide decline in sperm counts of over 50% in the past 46 years, a decline that has accelerated in the recent years. Unquote, Levine told reporters. In economic and finance news, cryptocurrency-leading platform BlockFi is preparing to file for bankruptcy in the coming days, according to the exclusive Bloomberg report published Wednesday. The outlet cited sources with knowledge of the situation who requested anonymity. BlockFi paused withdrawals from the platform last week, citing uncertainty surrounding FTX's collapse. BlockFi has been extended a $400 line of credit by FTX earlier this year and a deal that could have ended with FTX purchasing BlockFi if the loan platform had hit certain targets. So the criminal that basically was involved and responsible for the collapse of BlockFi turns around and says, we will buy you if you hit certain targets. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. On this day in history, and I don't mean that often in a positive way. In 1869, Suez Canal in Egypt opens, linking Mediterranean and the Red Sea. In 1922, the last sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Mehmed VI is expelled to Malta on a British warship. In 1970, Douglas Engelbart, Receives the patent for the first computer mouse. Those are your headlines. You guys are listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. Yeah, I am. Some of this news is actually pretty fascinating. But look, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back with our guests. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas, Vanilla Chan. Back in a moment.
0: Fault Lines. Lines.
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Manila Chan coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the cold, cold, wintry D.C. area, thank you, Manila. Um, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM at 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course. You can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make the show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. We will take your calls at 845 845- And most likely, 9.45. But I want to get to our guests. We're joined once again by the one and only Karen Kniesel. She's former minister of foreign affairs of Austria and energy analyst. Dr. Kniesel, welcome to the show. How are you doing this morning?
4: Hello, thank you very much for this kind introduction. Yes, I'm, I'm doing very fine. Thank you. I hope this is also the case for you.
1: It is. Just cold here. But all things been equal, everything is great.
4: Yes. How's your new home? How's the weather? <laughs> this is very kind of you to ask. Uh, the weather is uh, changing at night. We have amazing thunderstorms. So when you have no electricity at night, the lightnings of uh, of nature they simply embellish the sky. And um, we are proceeding. There are uh, four very good man, and uh, I cook for them and do the the inferior works and they do the superior works. of it. <laughs> That's so okay, cool. Fair
1: enough. Oh, that is great. You go to your house, get a meal. Um, let me ask you this. The G20 has just wrapped up. And of course, they came out with the communique. The communique did not specify Russia by name. Um, even though it says some people were basically against the war. And it showed this kind of division between various countries that were basically there that basically backed it up versus not. Um, I'm curious on your take on the G20 and the results of it. Meaning, A, do you believe that there's any kind of practical effect that the G20 basically has on world events? Um, And B, do you think anything significant or anything interesting resulted from this particular G20?
4: No, not at all. I mean, the T20 is is one of many formats. Well, I, I would even say we are in times of inflation of summits and and conferences and formats. You know, I mean, we have the United Nations General Assembly big meetings. We have uh, weekly EU councils. We have all these regional and international organizations such as Organization of the American States. You, you name it, you have it. So there's definitely an inflation of. Uh, big multilateral meetings where think tanks media uh, might get sometimes highly excited because they project tremendous uh, expectations which never really materialized to that extent and that definitely holds true for this g20 meeting i mean as far as my observation goes uh, the one and only real interest uh, a lot of people had was Will President Putin attend? What will happen there? Will there be a major watershed line in terms of, of, of the current stalemates in whatever problem uh, you name? But uh, in the end, President Putin decided not to go. And there's also been much speculation about that. My assessment is related to your question. I mean... It's, it's one of so many formats and, and maybe it's also already a somehow outdated format because the G20 was created in the aftermath of the Asian banking crisis that was in the mid 90s. And then as of 2008, eight nine, when China served as the locomotive of global economy. Uh, there was a kind of decision, well, let the emerging industrial countries and uh, the traditional industrial countries get together around one table. And there were 20 all of a sudden. and, And 20, honestly, is too much around the table. I mean, all of us know whether it's within a family context or a professional context, When you're more than eight, it's difficult to obtain some sort of of decision-making. Eight to 12. I never invite for dinner more than eight to 12 people. I mean, then you can still conduct a conversation at table. But the moment you go beyond 12, it becomes a bit difficult. That is
2: true. If you think (laughs) of of American Thanksgiving dinners, and there's like 20, 30 people at the house, it's chaos. I mean, she has a good point. She has a very good point. I mean, there are so many... um, I would say, competing goals, would you say, Dr. Kneisel?
4: Many uh, heads of state and government, they are somehow condemned to spend a good part of the time in traveling to summits. And then you have the plenary session where everybody makes a monologue and the others don't really pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) This is unfortunate, you know. And you know the monologue in advance because most of the statements have been said beforehand. And then you have to look at bilaterals uh, somewhere inside rooms. And these bilaterals, usually they are 20 to 30 minutes. But I mean, unless you really have already established a very good, a very trustful relation to your counterpart. Okay, let's say then in 20, 30 minutes, you can solve the one or the other burning issue because you have a consular case to solve or, or to sign something. But otherwise... It's not the context for genuine diplomacy that requires, in my mind, I might be a little bit old-fashioned, but it it requires time to sit down and also to share food. I mean, that you're really spending at least three, four, five hours together, then you can touch upon a lot of topics, even the more difficult ones. But just to read out to each other uh, how to behave, this is usually the, the practice by the Let's call it global north. Tell the others what you should do and where you were not well behaving and where you should behave better. This is this this doesn't serve any purpose, which I would call diplomacy. Mm-hmm. And okay. the G twenty meeting, again, there were so many expectations and, and they all centered around uh, President Putin. So he, he was somehow the absent in the room and, and present still. I mean, he participated by video link, but the only thing that I, I think that maybe many who attended and others who wrote about it uh, will remember is uh, it was the night when uh, there was uh, the bombing of poland and some cr- cr- uh, were crying world war three starts and the others were trying to to find out who did what so this this might be one of the souvenirs of the g20
1: let me ask you this what goes on behind the scenes like like We can always only see it from outside looking in, and we don't necessarily see this kind of internal meetings and those type of things. But when the world leaders are basically, let's say, amongst themselves and the cameras are not necessarily there, what's happening?
2: Oh, like are they mingling? Yeah. Are they friendly?
1: Yeah, like I, I'm just trying to get a feel for what is it like being in the room as opposed to just kind of an external look of it. Like what is the difference between how it looks versus what it is in practice?
4: I can mostly speak about the EU councils and what struck me is that we call each other all by our first name and again I might be too conservative too, too old fashioned I admit it I admit it yeah but I don't think that it serves any purpose to call each other by by Giulio and Giovanni and 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 and, and, and whatever I always uh, somehow try to teach the students. I I, I did often with them uh, simulated conferencing, uh, negotiating, and and we used to address each other as the distinguished delegate of uh, the dear colleague, uh, minister, so and so, prime minister, president. And it makes much more sense because the people there are, are representing a certain function. You know, they they might be replaced a few days later by an election or by whatever reason. So, but still, they are the the functions, the organs, the representatives of an entity. And I I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to to be too amical, you know, because in in, in when 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 you break everything down to first names and and being so. How, how would casual. I call it in casual? Thank you. This is the term. Uh, it doesn't serve the purpose, you know. Casual. This is for a barbecue party. This is maybe for the cocktail afterwards, but not in the plenary, not in the meeting room, because when you're when you are more formal, uh, when you're more sticking to certain rules of engagement. You can also uh, pass difficult messages because, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't get personal. You know, You are, uh, w- states with interests, converge them or diverge. Uh, so this is number one, uh, which I have always been critical of. And the other point is, unfortunately, I'm, I'm really sorry to say that, and I've written, a, it's, I, I mentioned it also in my book on diplomacy, while one takes the floor, the others rarely pay attention. <laughs> you know, people like are yeah, it's it's uh, people are not really anymore focused. it's it's like uh, it's it's unfortunate this is a common disease of our time not to really anymore pay attention, really listen. And respond. And uh, we we are back to the the, the big number of uh, participants. I mean, if you are five, six around the table, you can immediately maybe react. Uh, Somebody makes a statement and there's a counter statement and and maybe there's a synthesis. But what we have in those kinds of meetings, and I've never attended a G20, but I think it doesn't differ too much from the UN meetings I, I attended, or the EU Council meetings, or other regional organizations, OSCE, Organization of Security and Cooperation in Europe. Unfortunately, it's one monologue after the other. And the others, instead of listening to that monologue, taking notes, for instance, you know, and then responding, they are busy with uh, notes they get from their staff or with an SMS on their iPhone. Uh, oh, I mean, wow. but what I, would, yeah, 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 yeah. This is so unfortunate, you know. What I I I would do if I if I had a say in that, and I did it to the extent where I had a say. I simply banned uh, all those devices, which I cherish yeah. myself, they're wonderful devices. But for the sake of a meeting, they had to be in the room next door. And not only for the reasons of confidentiality, but above all for the reason of concentration. I always told my colleagues, you know, we we, we, have, we are able, we should be able to do now for 40 minutes without these wonderful devices. And in case a revolution breaks out in Austria. The secretary will step in and inform us, you know? So that's...
2: Yes, an assistant will come tell you <laughs> right. something happened. Like when George George W. Bush was reading the books to the children mm-hmm. and Nine then 9-11 happened. 9 exactly,
4: And I remember that, uh, that video. Yeah, yeah, I remember very well.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think he'd be looking at his mobile phone, even if we had smartphones back then. I mean, that just... You know, you should pay attention to what you're you're doing. They're they're important people. Yeah, yeah. Well, Doctor Kanizla, let me let me go a little deeper into um, into the G20 here. Georgia Meloni, the the new prime minister of Italy, was apparently the only female head of state at the G20 and when she when she took to the floor, and now I'm questioning how many men were paying attention to her, but <laughs> <laughs> she's the only she's the only female head of state, and apparently she criticized speculators for having too much influence on uh, reform of the world energy market and And according to her, she said, you know, supplier countries must not be allowed to take advantage of consumer countries, and that she she said during the plenary session that Italy is working on a plan to become the energy hub of Europe, pointing out that North Africa is too unstable to be that. Um, Do you foresee that happening for Italy? And also, do you think because she was the only female head of state that people were paying any attention to her or they're on Facebook or something on their phone.
4: Yeah, exactly. No, you're fully right. I mean, first of all, she's the newcomer. So there is always a certain sense of curiosity. <laughs> so there's the new one. And uh, there's a lot of political interpretation about her past, her present, her future. So people just want, want to have uh, their own perception. And that's why I think in her case, they paid attention. Uh, and maybe also because she's a... She is a well, she's an original uh, relatively young uh, female politician, so i, I I'm, I'm I'm sure i'm 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 convinced that the others in that case paid attention and uh, uh, put aside their phones for the ah. ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to a statement on Italy um becoming uh, Europe's um, uh, energy hub, no Europe already has an energy hub, and it's called Turkey. And uh, Turkey has been there for a while as an energy hub. I mean, in the early 2000s, it was BP, by constructing the pipeline from Azerbaijan, Baku, to uh, the port of uh, Chehan. So there were big programs, uh, also projects by uh, some companies in terms of um, a big gas pipeline called Nabucco, which always remained a project. But Nabucco was all about circumventing Russian gas supply. So... Turkey, for its due to its geography, to its proximity of the important gas and oil producers, is already the energy hub of Europe. This, this is a fact, you know. It's um, the, the, the current, a lot of gas purchasing that is not anymore done uh, via Nord Stream and and and, and so on is now happening via Turk Stream, uh, which is a pipeline uh, going from Novosibirsk in Russia to, um, to Turkey. And uh, so Europeans are buying Russian gas via Turkey and there are huge plans by Moscow and Ankara to increase that, to even construct a uh, a stock exchange market uh, dedicated to gas purchasing. Uh, But Italy definitely has its role to play. This is for sure. And uh, the uh, partially state-owned company Eni, uh, previously also known as Agip, is is is, is really a a very efficient company. It's it's a global player. It's uh, present uh, uh, from the Middle East to North Africa, uh, across the African continent, a lot in terms of gas exploration, such as in Mozambique, for instance. Uh, They have discovered a huge offshore field, the Soha field in uh, Egypt about 12 years ago. So Eni is definitely an important player. And Eni, in contrast to some... uh, Anglo-Saxon companies um, is, I would say, the, the, the Italian managers I have met and the way I observed them, they have always been much more um, uh, astute, charming, uh, efficient in getting their projects um, done. You know, it's they, they have a different approach. And uh, so Any is definitely a very important actor. Uh, and uh, Italy has uh, pipeline connections to Algeria, much of uh, much more importance than go- those going to, uh, uh, to France, which is due to the fact that France is a former, very contested colonial um, power in Algeria. Uh, the Algerians traditionally preferred to turn their gas and oil exports to Italy than rather than to France. And so the, it, Italy is already there, you know, there are several trans-Mediterranean pipelines. And, and if there hadn't been this horrible humanitarian intervention by the Europeans into Libya in 2011, uh, Europe would dispose of a very close uh, gas partner called Libya. But, uh, well, in the name of democracy and humanity and so on, The country was destroyed and the country uh, is not yet back, uh, far, far, far away from from being back to normal and being a regular oil and gas producer. So Italy, yes, it plays a role, but I don't see uh, it becoming the number one hub when you compare it to what is already happening um, in in, in Turkey.
2: Yeah, she seems to have uh, very ambitious goals for Italy.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, there was a fight between, well, fight maybe too strong, between Justin Trudeau and Xi Jinping. And this was something that basically fell into the headlines. Um, a spat. Let's call it a spat. I like that word, spat. Well, where basically a conversation between Xi Jinping and Trudeau that was supposed to be held in confidence was leaked to the press. Um, and, and it was Justin
2: Trudeau who did it.
1: Yes. Yes. Trudeau basically leaked it. And right here, Xi Jinping bothered by that greatly basically makes this one says quote everything we discuss has been leaked to the papers and that is not appropriate um he continues he said and that is not how the conversation was conducted quote if there was any sincerity on your part then we shall conduct our discussion with an attitude of mutual respect otherwise there might be unpredictable consequences xi jinping tells the canadian leader in mandarin now Trudeau responds to this, basically cutting him off, saying, quote, in Canada, we believe in free and open, frank dialogue, unquote, Trudeau added. He says, quote, we will continue to work constructively together, but there will be things that we disagree on. And right here, here's um, Xi Jinping's response to this. Let's create the conditions first, the translator said on behalf of Xi in the video. Today, Trudeau is basically arguing that any conversation that he has with a world leader that is held in confidence is open and subject there's to being no privacy leaked. Oh, well, I don't believe him at all. I don't buy that nonsense. Meaning any like if Trudeau has a private conversation with Joe Biden, then Joe Biden can't expect confidence and privacy in the conversation between world leaders. That's, That's not crazy. This is crazy, Right
4: exactly no i think that mr trudeau in contrast to his father who also served as prime minister of canada uh, has not the slightest clue of what diplomacy means and uh, he is uh, he's much more into everything has to be transparent everything has to be done to the press i I made a tweet, actually, on that video clipping, and uh, I I wrote that um, uh, genuine diplomacy requires confidentiality. And if you leak everything to the press, as Trudeau does, and as Macron also does, when you remember uh, that apparently all the phone calls he had with President Putin, with German Chancellor, with Johnson in in spring uh when when the war was was just about starting and the sanctions well all the phone calls that he did he had them filmed and then he did a big show about him as the grand statesman which was released I think sometimes in may or june to present him as as as, as the big international guy and uh, i mean you, you you and i we know it when when we when we make for instance a call to a call center of a company then we we usually get the information from the call center. Please uh, consent to the fact that your conversation will be recorded. Do you agree with? Me? No So so even in such banal things like I'm calling a call center and if I, for instance, become uh, aggressive towards the employee there or whatever, they have a proof. So I agree that my conversation with the employee of a call center of a company is recorded. They usually say it's for training purposes, but it's also to keep to, to keep uh, some sort of evidence if something happens, you know. So there we are. Everybody is aware of the fact that, well, for the sake of transparency, for the sake of, of, of efficiency, let's record it. But uh, none of the counterparts of President Macron was informed that their conversations will be used for a for a one hour evening show on on the French president. <laughs> I mean, this is uh, th- there we are today, and and this is very very unfortunate because it's the total destruction of of diplomacy. And I can very well imagine that President Xi is not at all amused about that. And and uh, it was interesting to have that very conversation then videotaped so the rest of the world could participate. And and I made a tweet on it. And then there were some reactions by by Canadians who said, well, in contrast to the Chinese, our, our prime minister is president. And he tells everybody, everything to us, the Canadian people, you know, this is childish. This is that there there, there are limits to transparency when, when, when a, uh, when a couple has uh, a problem, they uh, they will try to solve, to the extent possible, certain things uh, within their four walls. The moment you go out, you create an antagonism, you create new dynamics, and uh, it doesn't make any sense. So we, we are we are back to very basic uh, manners, human behavior, and and simply having the. Simply knowing, um should I say, I mean, it's it's about basic manners. Let's put it
0: like that,
2: Dr. Kneisel, you and I recently had a discussion for my television show um about diplomacy and and, you know, how it's starting to deteriorate because it's a societal issue. You been cheating on me,
0: Dr. <laughs> Kal <Knizel> has been <laughs> cheating on you Jamaro,
2: <laughs> with me on on the television show. but we we talked about, Um, Actually, Justin Trudeau and Emmanuel Macron in 2017, how they were basically mean girls to Donald Trump. They were I mean, they were caught on camera giving him dirty looks, you know, making fun of him, um, you know, talking about him and pointing at him literally like like high school, like high school freshman in university. Very childish behavior. And, and Dr. Knazel said the same thing, that this is, you know, the, the collapse of diplomacy when you can't even show mutual respect to other world leaders. Well, guess what? Now Donald Trump has thrown his hat in the, in the ring officially. And in two years, there's a chance that he might come back. How do you think the people at the G20 were responding to this because the news of Donald Trump announcing happened during uh, the, the G20 session? Maybe they had a whiskey. <laughs> they thought, "Oh no, he's coming back."
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, it's it's. I mean, it's um, it's it's interesting that he that he chose the timing like that. Maybe because he knew them being all there together, and so he he, he was he was making maybe having his own fun part <laughs> in the whole thing because they uh, they have a collective. Uh, uh, breakdown of nerves or whatever, but uh, it's um, um, you know you should always speak language and keep a certain basic behavior that you so that you can meet a second and third time. I mean this is what uh, what I've been trying to practice throughout my life. It doesn't always work, but still. One, one should stick to this rule to a certain extent so that you are always able to meet a second, third, fourth time because uh, the world is rounded, not flat. So you always meet again.
1: <laughs> I'm curious about some. Let's jump into American politics for a bit. Uh, Republicans have taken the House officially. Um, It's taken over a week for whatever reason to come to this assessment, but whatever. They finally taken the House. The vote counts are in Nancy Pelosi. I mean, whatever one anyone wants to think about Pelosi, she has basically dominated House of Representatives for what? Decades A hundred years. Yeah. She, she's been there forever. <laughs> and now there's this idea or this question of, OK, what happens to Pelosi now? She's supposed to give a speech coming up today. I don't necessarily know if she's given it yet, but she's supposed, the speech is supposed Maybe to take it's place
2: retirement. today. retirement.
1: That's the question. And if so, what does it mean? Meaning if Nancy Pelosi does come on and says, look, I'm, a, I'm an octogenarian at this point, 82 years old. I am no longer Speaker of the House. It's time for new energy to come into play. My husband has just gotten beat with a hammer. And I'm not saying that's funny, not laughing, but, but yeah. But, but I
2: mean, it's all true. All of it's right? true. I mean, you, you don't cease being a person because you're a politician. Exactly. Right? Like you're you're still an 82-year-old woman with yes. a family, grandchildren and mm-hmm. all that. But But remember, under her, she was she flew to Taiwan. Joe Biden yes, she did. supposedly denounced it. I mean, she ruffled a lot of feathers in this past year. Yes,
1: she has. I guess the question is, what does it mean that Nancy Pelosi is potentially stepping down and who comes behind her? is another interesting question. What does it mean for Democrats? Let's go with the first one. What does it mean that Pelosi is potentially stepping down?
4: It's the end of an era because, uh, I mean, as far as I can remember, I, I I remember her face and she has always been there. And, I mean, on a certain level, I have I've respect uh, for the, you know, for the stamina that she has had. Uh, and uh, uh, so, yeah, she has always been there. And I can also imagine, I mean, she's fit enough uh, that uh, I don't think that she will be completely settled, you know, because she's so much used to this uh, Daily schedule and and uh, she was always able apparently to um, to, to to coordinate it uh, with with some sort of family life. So maybe the, all of them, bec- she she becomes a U.S. ambassador to Italy. Who knows?
2: So you don't you don't foresee her actually leaving the stage entirely.
4: I I, I don't know. I I've I've only met her once personally for a very very brief conversation, but. She's she's somebody who who lives that with uh, with uh, with sincere joy, you know. She enjoys yeah. it. Uh, she does. She's not uh, she's not worn out. She's not uh, she's not somebody who's suffering from that. Like, uh, uh, give me a break. I need a weekend or so. No, no. She's really she really enjoys it. So people who enjoy that public role so profoundly. I cannot imagine unless uh, they 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 have some sort of health private issue that they would resign. But I don't see her resign. I'm I'm pretty sure we will see her around. And
1: uh,
2: yeah, she's not fading off into the sunset. It
1: says her aides are basically hinting that she's going to continue to serve in Congress. Think about this. She's been there for what since 1987.
2: Look, look, Diane. Feinstein, I think, is almost 90 at this point. She also she from my home state. She doesn't even look
1: like she is there.
2: I know. Well, here's a weird question for you, Dr. Kodaisel. I, I mean, there are no, there are age minimum laws um, for presidency in the U.S. You have to be 35 years or older. You have to be born here in the U.S. Uh, Congress, it's a whole different, you know, there's no age, anything. No minimum, no maximum. Are there any rules surrounding that in European parliaments? I mean, I don't. When I look at at the at EU parliaments anywhere at any country, I don't tend to see ninety year old people up there.
4: You, you're fully right. On the contrary, it really has been a kind of rejuvenization for for various reasons. Uh, but uh, you're fully right. There are no nineteen year old ones, but. Mm, but, uh, well, we have had uh, one Pope resign because he felt too old well. and maybe the current will also resign. Yes. Uh, so um, it's, uh, no, but there, there's a certain generation of politicians in the US and Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump, the, the, despite all their profound divergence as personalities and the the uh, the rift that they cultivate between be, be the two of them. Uh, but they are, to a certain extent, they, they have a similar they have a similar breed, if I may say, you know. And, and yes,
2: yeah, so, well, that brings up a really good point. I mean, I would say if you look at the UK Parliament, most of them are about middle-aged people. I think the average age there is about somewhere between 55 and, and 62, something like that. So middle-aged people, right? They have enough life experience. They have enough, uh, you know, Enough, their their m- maturity is there, yes, right. But they're also not so old like a Diane Feinstein that they can't keep up, right?
1: It's like a Wheeler, But, her yes, like, but I
2: mean, in the U.S., that's not that's not the case, and and we forever. we never point that out. But but then if you look at the young leaders like Trudeau and Macron who are in their forties, is there a threat there to to? world stability when you have such young world leaders who are literally in their 40s. Barack Obama, same thing. He was, you know, he he spoke a very good game, but he was, you know, behind the doors, very young and hostile and bombing a lot of people.
4: And there are even younger ones, you know. <laughs> 40s, 40s already fine somehow. Uh, I, I, I served in a government where, at the age of 53, I was the second oldest one. All wow. the others were in the early 30s. Yeah, so I felt like a gouvernante, you know. I, I, I felt <laughs> like the old auntie sometimes, and I behaved like the one sometimes, at least behind doors. But, but you're fully right. You know, the the, the problem I see is. Uh, when you are in your mid-thirties, early forties, and you are at this top rank, let's let's take uh, President Obama, he served two terms. And what you do, you do then. You produce films. You lend your voice to uh, to uh, nature films, to animal films. I mean, there's. Uh, it, it's a. I, I, what do you do then with the rest of your life? You know. Uh, Do you become an academic? Do you do you ask for uh, a post in an international organization? Uh, In the case of Obama, I haven't been following so much. But uh, uh, when he was not campaigning now for President Biden, he's he's in film producing, if I'm not mistaken. Uh,
1: That's funny. (laughs) Um, One last question before we let you go, Justin Trudeau, um, not Trudeau. I'm sorry, Um, Sunak. uh, Rishi 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 Sunak just came out with a mini budget. Well, not a mini budget, a budget. I'm thinking of Liz Truss and both of those things are crossing in my mind at once. But Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt, just came out with a budget for the UK. And all things being equal, this is a repudiation of Liz Truss's mini budget or Quarteng's mini budget. And it says right here. uh, In his statement, he outlined around $30 billion in spending cuts and $25 billion in tax hikes. And again, like I said, the mini budget came out with this idea that we're going to cut taxes across the board. It was astonishing. Give me your take on that. Were you shocked that trusts would come out with a budget like that? And even for the mo- most part, the let's say the shortening of the time that she was in office. I mean, a head of cabbage literally <laughs> lasted longer than Liz Trusted. trust And for that matter, the, the UK is coming out with this particular budget now. Let's start with the first question. Um, the mini budget that initially came out. Were you shocked that she would come out with a budget in the economic climate that the UK was in?
4: From my far distant observation, they did tremendous mistakes, and we saw the reaction of the market. I mean, I think they they made the publications on a Thursday or Friday, and oh, even though it was over the weekend, but by Monday, uh, the British economy was in a was Refall. in a quagmire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, that it, it because. Uh, Everybody was shocked, you know. It's uh, Whether I'm shocked, it doesn't make any sense. But whether, when the market is shocked, it makes sense, you know. So um, the, oh, it's, it's important. The, their reaction is much more important than than what analysts or commentators might write. And uh, so they, I mean, they wanted to get their budget thing somehow done. And then they, I think the, the target date was uh, 31st of October. And then they said, no, it's coinciding with Halloween. Let's, let's better wait for another two Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> it was all about the date, as far as I've been observing from far away. I don't think that it was so much about the substance, because these things you don't you don't draft these very important things within a few days. You know, I mean, there are civil servants working on an interministerial level. Every ministry wants to have its share of of expenses and allocation. So these things are done on a civil servants level between the ministries between the uh, the local entities of the United Kingdom, who gets what. And uh, so the, 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 the big lines, the bottom line was there.
1: Oh, I see. So you're basically saying this was an ideological budget, not a budget that was basically done, I want to say, I guess, in earnest? I mean, all the being, things being equal, that they had this kind of idea that they wanted to push and they ran with it, regardless of what the Bank of England would do and regardless of what good fiscal sense was doing. Give me your take on Sunak. I'm not sure if you necessarily know him or if you've engaged with him in your time of being in office. But any ideas on, I guess, up to this point, this budget is basically cutting taxes and a repudiation of the last budget. Give me your take just on this shift. I mean, the U.K. seemed to be all over the place in regards to what they're trying to do. And the pound is suffering for it.
4: I, I've never met uh, Prime Minister Ryshek, uh, but I I've been following him when he was Chancellor uh, of the Exchequer, and uh, I mean he, he he was somehow a public face for quite some time, so you read about him. Uh, but my take is that um, maybe there's some sort of relief now among conservative circles and also beyond conservative circles in the UK that Boris Johnson didn't come back, they didn't want to have him back. Uh, They wanted to have a calm hand, you know, and uh, despite the fact that he is a colorful uh, personality, I mean, uh, that's in, in, in... you can even call him a paradise bird you know in the sense that he's he's out of the box in every sense you know with, uh, with his lifestyle with his curriculum uh, uh, vitae and so on but uh, considered as a calm hand as as uh, somebody who who is a kind of uh, of medication now after those uh, rather turbulent times and and Liz Truss was very turbulent. It's a, it's a very short time, but the, the years before with Paris Johnson were also not that quiet.
1: No, they weren't. I mean, you yeah, um, had. He's
2: forty-two years old. He, I'm oh, he's age. very young. He's my age. Yeah. Thank you. I'm young.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's young. I mean, considering. Forty-two. Um. Uh. Karin Kanizl. Thank you for this. I really appreciate this. Doctor Kanizl. She's a former minister of foreign affairs for Austria and an energy analyst. And let's do this. Let's take calls. The number is 202-521-1320. That is 202-521-1320. And he is young. But that's just it though. I think oftentimes it's not entirely the youth. I mean, because 42 is you know a decent age of strength versus. you know what they intellect. say about young young
2: yeah. bucks?
1: Yes. But they yes, but they don't necessarily say it about women. But I guess my point is um because I
2: think Georgia Maloney, I think, is like 44.
1: Yeah, all so of okay. these guys are relatively Very young. young. I guess my thing we're is- We're
2: trending young in the world, but in America, we're like, let's keep that skeleton in office. I
1: saw them wheel, um, what's her name? Uh, Feinstein, up to give a speech. She was wheeled? Well, I'm saying wheeled, but- oh, it,
2: I was like, is she at that stage? No,
1: you know? wheeled is too strong. It's just, for me, it looked like she was being wheeled because she was so out of it. And it's like she was expected to give a speech, and she was just out of it. It was yes. Like, yes. like just yes. staring into the ether- I and it's like they prod her with a stick in order to get her to talk. And I was like, why is this woman still here? But California is like, nobody else.
2: Like you always say, I don't know if that's that is a bug or a feature. Yeah. I can't tell at this point. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> right. But like, right. Do we keep a, reelecting these these yeah. octogenarians? I keep thinking, but why like, is this woman why? still here? Or again, is it a bug or is it a feature? So I don't. I don't know.
1: I don't know either. I do think that countries have, let's say, a certain culture. And those countries get themselves with this idea. But of we hate
2: old people. We throw our old oh, people I, in nursing homes. I don't mean so the why old do we keep thing, putting them in office? I
1: mean, the way that these pol- politicians at a young age act. Like, meaning if you had a different culture, they may act differently. But, but well, look, we have Tarif. Tarif, hey, Tarif, New Orleans. What's going on, man?
5: Thank y'all for taking my call. First, I like to say, freak doing the science. I got a comment to make. Don't with the, when the um Republicans take over the house. They should when they should send his subpoenas to. Here's my first one, it's three of them. Uh, so the so, sheriff so, should subpoena me so I can testify in front of the Congress about Mikey the Baker contaminant water and hopefully they can um subpoena the VA in Houston and maybe New Orleans and maybe the mayors in both cities in New Orleans and Houston about the contractor work that that, that was done on that pipe in Houston some years ago. uh, Subpoena the contractor group as well. So so subpoena also the Durham investigation subpoena Durham. Why you
1: wait? 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 Why? Why Durham? Well,
5: because uh, we're dealing with that thing dealing with the uh, what happened in 2016, 2017, what was going around Trump subpoena Durham uh, with the um, information he got, and also. The like, um, uh, the Stokes and the other FBI agents that it was involved in.
1: But Tarif Durham was the investigation, right? I mean, it's like you said, do an investigation on the investigation.
5: No, well, yeah, you know, you want to. Oh, you do want that uh, uh, investigate out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to, um, listen. Do you have an investigation, the of, the that, investigation that of, gotta, of the investigation of the investigation? If you don't get what you want out of the second, it's event. like a Russian nesting no, doll. No, right, right, right. No, well. What I'm saying, it, it, it investigate the people that Durham was supposed to investigate, but they got away because the judge held them up. Investigate them too. But to the investigation—that's
1: in so can- like taking a second and third bite at the apple. I mean, look, I think Durham's investigation was a was a shallow was shallow at this point, right? I mean, what two out of three well, it
2: turned up nothing? Yeah, I mean,
1: not nothing, it, but it, no convictions. Yeah, no convictions. I mean, okay. What's the third point? What's the third point? I don't want to interrupt it. The last one.
5: Okay. the th- The third point is this. And also, bring back the church committee. Uh, again, yeah, done with, with in the 70s, and, uh, with, what they was doing with the COINTELPRO, Pro, MK Ultra, investigate that, and look into the John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, MLK, Robert F. Kennedy assassination. They can do that as well. Look into the Jeff Epstein thing. Well, now, they won't have power to to put people in prison or prosecute, but for the next two years, Jamal, they can expose this. Well, yes, they can look into the Durham thing with the, the people that got away from Durham, but by them going after and opening up files and things of that nature, that is going to expose a lot of people. Now, they won't be able to cause no damage like, the one people in prison.
1: But at the very least, they can bring that stuff to light.
2: And, and the Rumble Room is giving you a shout-out yeah. to Reef, and they're asking if you saw their tweet.
1: Yeah, I don't hate the um, church committee one. Um, but you guys are listening Thank to the Fault Lines. Thomas Chan, back in a moment for the last hour. Back shortly.
0: Fault lines. Fault
1: lines. Live from the divided states of America, precipitously perched at the edge of this resilient and exploited globe. Welcome to your context lens for the American perspective. In the left corner. I'm your ever-vigilant, your indefatigable political analyst, Jamal Thomas.
2: And somewhere in the center, the vixen of Veritas, the thriller in Manila, Chan.
1: That means you're listening to Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan. You know, I'm looking at the story uh, right here. This is in the... Associated Press, the DA's most corrupt agent. Oh, I see. Party, that sex amid unwinnable war. Yeah,
2: he's going off to jail, so he decided to do a tell-all to the AP. Yeah, and at this point, AP has lost its credibility with me. So much credibility entirely. Like I just give up. So. One
1: job, get it right. Labroth on his deathbed. At the G twenty, despite that. the fact that he's sitting in the room.
2: Then you got the the whole Russian s- strikes, the yeah. Russian strikes in Poland,
1: and then even and the then, even Russian right missile, now, Russian missile. It's a Soviet no, missile. I, There's that, a difference. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. that's what I'm
2: talking about. And then today, they instead of walking back mm-hmm. their headline, the new headline today about that is yeah. they're still misleading by calling it a uh, Russian missile.
1: It's not—you know, they were doing that with the missile that shot down that aircraft also. They kept saying Russian missile, despite the fact that it wasn't a Russian missile. It was a Soviet-built.
2: Right. It's it's, fired from Ukraine. If you make something— Yes. And you sell it to somebody Yes They own it
1: Especially when they use it Right Think of the number of American missiles That are being shot It was only once When I saw them say American missile murders Or kills all of these like, people In the bus when, in Yemen When
2: the Saudi Exactly When the Saudis are dropping bombs On the Yemenis
1: Exactly Is
2: anybody saying America is bombing they Yemen
1: They only did it once Just once And this war has been going on for years
2: so that, but, that, that's, it's just so misleading. So yes. at this point, I'm and super disappointed. And it's misleading on
1: purpose. Uh, yes. It I'm was a Soviet-built missile. AP. Those aren't the same things.
2: I don't, I don't, I, I can't even trust them yeah, anymore. The Soviet like, Union
1: was a massive conglomerate of countries. You, it wasn't just if one you individual country.
2: actually look at who funds the AP, who sits on their board and yeah. stuff, these are, again, it goes back to like Raytheon, all right. these like big conglomerates. There are the people on their board
1: mm-hmm.
2: who are not necessarily editorial, but they're on the board. Yeah. You're telling me those people that that are Raytheon board members, Boeing war, board members, that they don't have any impact on the editorial board?
1: Yeah, well, basically it comes out do. from the reporting standpoint of it. Of course they do. Um, Well, in this case, though, he is basically coming out telling all. And his point was the drug game is basically a game.
2: Well, he was an undercover DEA. We right. Set the stage. And
1: his point is basically, look. We didn't believe we could do anything one way or the other for the drug game. If it right. wasn't us, it would be somebody else. So we decided that we're the, just going to enjoy it.
2: That's the main point. Yeah. Is that a lifer DEA agent, yes. right, has been there for 20 some odd years. He's like 47 years old. Uh huh. Um, he looks like this like gangster type guy. Yeah. But, I mean, he's undercover, right? right. So that's, he's supposed
1: to look, play the look role. Like it, right? Right.
2: And so he was like embedded with cartels and stuff. I mean, that's a dangerous job, he right? Says, so I get he has to play it. He but.
1: said they were skimming millions of dollars from drug money laundering stings yep. into fun, a decade's worth of luxury overseas travel, fine dining, top seats at sporting events and frat house style debauchery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
2: but the main, I think my main takeaway, I get that when yeah. people do that, I get it when they're deep undercover. My takeaway is that he said this drug war is unwinnable. It's
1: unwinnable. It, it, there's no way to win this. Uh, and so since we can't win it, Let's just have he some fun. You can't beat
2: him. Might yeah. as well join Let's him. Let's just
1: join him. And, and, they, and like you said, the other main point, I didn't do this alone. Right. Like, it ain't just me. It's not just me. This was not a bug. This was a feature. I'm you know, not a bad apple. So
2: I wonder if it's he a bunch. threw any colleagues under the bus. He, yes.
1: The answer has to be yes. I mean, for him to say, I am not going down for this alone. Ooh. <laughs> and he names, he names names, apparently. He was like, he's Um, he became another man and conspiring with Colombian cartels to establish this lavish lifestyle. And he says, the way he tells it, dozens of other federal agents, prosecutors, informants, and in some cases, cartel smugglers themselves were all in on a three-continent joyride known as, quote, Team America, unquote, that chose cities for money laundering, pickups mostly for partying purposes that coincide with Madrid soccer or tennis matches. Think about that. Well, we need to have a money drop off at this location because, you know, we want to have a party here in this country.
2: It's literally the stuff of movies. How much you want to bet this guy is going to sell his life story to oh, Netflix? Oh, of course.
1: He's doing it now. I mean, well, I don't know about Netflix, but yeah, he's selling it. Somebody's I mean, the fact that he's it. telling it, you know they're going to make a Netflix series. Hell like you yeah. said the other day, they're going to make a Netflix series. This too. I mean, he... No, He's talking about, this movie. included stops at VIP rooms in Caribbean strip joints, yep. Amsterdam Red Lights districts, aboard Caribbean, uh, Colombian oh, yachts. Oh, salacious. He says plenty of booze and dozens of prostitutes.
2: Booze and boobs.
1: They had fun.
2: Booze and
1: boobs. They had fun.
2: Well, you know, at least.
1: Usually should have Scott Ritter talk about the CIA. He is brutal talking about CIA. And he basically describes them like Scott this. Scott or John? No, Scott Ritter. Scott Ritter. Yes, the military guy, Scott Ritter. He's given an assessment of the CIA at the very least once or twice when we had him on the show. I forget the topic that came up. And he basically talked about like them like this, like these party threat boys and stuff like that.
2: Oh, I bet John has some stories. Oh, yes. Oh,
1: yes. I would love to get John on this. But <laughs> oh, let's get to headlights. All right, let's
2: get to headlines. Okay. After a week, we finally know the answer for sure.
1: <laughs>
2: because California, my people, were finally able to count... Take a little bit longer, okay.
1: Not strong as STEM.
2: Just not not really big on STEM out there. Um, The GOP has finally, for sure, clinched the win in the House of Representatives. They hit 218 seats. They've got the majority thanks to Republican Representative Mike Garcia from California's 27th district. Democrats right now sit at 210. There are some races to be called still or uh, some Democrat races, but doesn't matter because the magic number is 218. Republicans got there. Then in the upper chamber in the Senate, they have advanced a bipartisan legislation granting federal protections to same-sex and interracial marriages in the United States. I think that's a good thing. Senators voted to advance the Respect for Marriage Act in a 62-37 vote setting the stage for passage by the upper chamber of Congress. A total of 60 votes were needed to limit any debate on that legislation. So that breezes through. Then the conclusion made in Monday's Carbon Tracker report describing investment in the African fossil fuel industry is, quote, high risk and our sentimental approach to selling politically motivated points, says Dr. Wisdom Patrick Anang. His name is Dr. Wisdom Patrick Anang. He's a Nigerian oil and gas consultant talking with Sputnik. He said, quote, I see the report being published without actually looking at the African side of the story. The report doesn't have a balanced view. And adding that Africa will, quote, write its own history, taking into consideration the balance between Achieving clean energy and energy security and sustainability. Then a wrong way driver outside of Los Angeles struck a group of young law enforcement recruits while they were out for their morning jog on Wednesday. 25 of the recruits were injured, including five who were in critical condition. The crash happened just around dawn at 625 a.m. local time. Uh, just down the street from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department Star Explorer Training Academy in my hometown of Whittier, California. These injuries sustained by the recruits include lots of head trauma, lots of broken bones. Some people lost limbs. Sheriff Alex Villanueva said one of those recruits is sadly on a ventilator. The driver detained at the scene is described as a young 22-year-old male, uh, They said there was no smell of alcohol or anything on him. Uh, An investigation is underway, but reportedly the unidentified 22-year-old driver said he was sleepy. So, ugh, maybe asleep at the wheel? Who knows? Uh, International news here. President Xi Jinping appeared to reprimand Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Wednesday for disclosing private conversations that they had to the Canadian media during the G20 summit in Bali. He said, quote, everything we discuss is leaked to the paper. That's not appropriate. She's interpreter saying in English near the start of the clip, adding, that's not the way the conversation was conducted. Now, Trudeau is heard responding that, he said, in Canada, we believe in free and open and frank dialogue. And added that they would we work constructively together, but there will be things that we disagree on. So President Xi not happy that Justin Trudeau went blabbing to the press. Then the Iranian Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Wednesday confirmed the release of two Greek tankers that were seized back on May of May 27th of this year. The Greek Minister for Shipping and Island Policy, Giannis Plakiotakis, announced the release of those vessels on Wednesday. Then Sweden's parliament has forced through a constitutional amendment that will make it possible to pass tougher anti-terror laws, which has been demanded by Turkey if they, you know, want to join the NATO bloc. So Turkey laying down the law, uh, there's a quote here that says, limit freedom of association when it comes to organizations that engage in terrorism, or support it. Then worldwide, average sperm counts are falling, quote, at an accelerated rate after having half, having over the last 40 years. Now, according to the new study from an Israeli epidemiologist called Hagai Levine, sperm counts are not only an indicator of fertility, but also of male health in general. A low count may indicate an increased risk of chronic disease, testicular cancer, and decreased lifespan. Quote, overall, we're seeing a significant worldwide decline in sperm counts of over 50% over the last 46 years, a decline that has accelerated in recent years. Then to some economics news here, more fallout in the crypto world, also attached to the big FTX saga cryptocurrency lending platform BlockFi is preparing to file bankruptcy in the coming days according to an exclusive from Bloomberg. The outlet citing sources with knowledge of the situation who requested anonymity, BlockFi paused withdrawals from the platform starting last week citing uncertainty surrounding FTX's collapse. BlockFi had been extended a $400 million line of credit by FTX earlier this year in a deal that could have ended up with FTX purchasing BlockFi if the loan platform had hit certain targets. Now, as we know, if you're not up to speed with FTX, they filed bankruptcy. There's a lot of money laundering going on there. Um, But apparently FTX loaned them some faulty cash and were looking to buy BlockFi. Uh, probably not going to happen now. And then this day in history, back in 1869, the Suez Canal in Egypt opens, linking the Mediterranean and Red Seas. In 1922, the last sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Mehmed VI, is expelled to Malta on a British warship. Then back in 1970, Douglas Engelbert receives the patent. the first computer mouse. All right, that's going to do it for your headlines. This Thursday, November the 17th, you are listening to Fault Lines. All right, uh, still a lot more news to discuss uh, right after the break. Let's take a quick breather here. Uh, Jamal Thomas, Manila Chan, coming back in just a minute. You're listening to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik.
0: Fault Lines.
1: Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with my co-host Manila Chan coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. If you guys just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Manila and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio or video. If you want to Join in on the conversation. You can do so with a chat, a tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Definitely don't be shy. And I want to go to our guests. We have the one and only Malik Abdul. He is co-host of Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. Again, I don't want to necessarily um, jump the gun on that, but it's true. Malik, <laughs> welcome to the show, man. How are you doing this morning.
6: Morning, morning, morning. I don't think he jumped the gun at all. Hey.
1: Well, I, not everybody knows yet that you're, Malik will be co-host of Fault Lines um, within, I don't know, a week or so, give or take. Um, so, yes, jumping the gun, but nevertheless. How's it going, man? You doing all right this morning? Doing pretty good. You know, it's, it, it's no longer 80
6: degrees. It's 70 degrees. Oh, oh
1: so sad. So
6: sad. It's freezing is, there in is Florida. Is party
2: over <laughs> at Mar-a-Lago?
6: Well, no. Actually, they've been having a couple of uh, meetings. Uh, There's one on Friday. There's a gala on Friday at Mar-a-Lago.
2: That's called rich people party. Yeah,
1: a gala. I love that. A gala.
6: That's exactly what they call it. Uh, But no, everything has kind of calmed down a little bit. But now, as we see... Republicans
1: took the House, and so, you know. They took the House. I'm curious, Nancy Pelosi, I want to get into this for a moment. So some of the reporting is that Pelosi is going to give her speech today, or, well, yeah, I call it a speech, basically delineating what is going to happen with her going forward. Well,
2: she's going to talk about her future. Her is the future. the official statement.
1: Yes. Now, the catch becomes, what is she going to say in that official statement? Now, members of her staff for the last few weeks have basically been signaling that she may stay. Give me your take on if she stays or if she goes, what it means from your point of view.
6: Well, it's an interesting thing. Um, When we were talking about, you know, when people were saying that it's a possibility that um, Republicans wouldn't take the House, there was some more conversation about what would Nancy Pelosi do. But I'm kind of of two minds on it because on the one hand, I do see Nancy Pelosi saying, well, you know what? did a great job, whether that was under Barack Obama or now with um, Joe Biden, you know, we made a lot, we had a lot of achievements, but at the age of what is she? 82. 82. Yep. At the age of 82. And with the recent thing happening with my husband, you know what? I don't want to be the minority leader. So maybe it's time for me to go. Um, But then on the other hand, Joe Biden has two more years. And so. She may feel as if she needs to stay there to kind of try to help Joe Biden usher things, but she's pretty limited in what she could do because Republicans now have control of the House. So just from an, and I'll say an ego perspective, I can't see why at the age of Well, really, not even at the age of 82 at any age, but I can't see why after being the Speaker of the House for so many years and various times over her career, because remember the first time she was Speaker was during the Barack Obama administration. So she's kind of been at this for a while. Um, So but I can't see her saying, you know, "Mm, okay, well, maybe I'll stay and become, you know, and, you know, be in the minority. From an ego perspective, I just wouldn't be able to take that because you're no longer—power matters, and she will have no power. So I don't see the benefit to her, especially at this stage in her career, I don't see the benefit in her actually staying.
1: But Pelosi has been in the minority before, and all things been equal from her perspective, she may look at it as— if when Biden wins again, we're going to retake the House and I'm going to be speaker once again at the ripe right. age of 84 years old. <laughs> like meaning she from her perspective, I mean, she Polo, could I,
2: make a comeback.
1: She could make a comeback. I remember Pelosi said one time when Republicans, I believe they took the House or they took the House in a Senate, something like that. And her perspective was, look, this is temporary. They're not going to hold on to the House. In perpetuity. I mean, Democrats, look, at one point, Democrats held the House for what, like nearly 50 years? It was like there were two terms where Republicans took over over the course of those 50 years. But when, Demo- when um, Bill Clinton came in as president, they basically changed. You got this kind of back and forth, back and forth. From her perspective, she may look at this as this is cyclical. They take it now, we'll take it in the next term. Meaning, she may, she may just look at it as I just need to suck it up for two years. I don't know. I mean, yeah, she could, but we're looking
6: at a different era now. Um, you know, 2024 is around the corner. The Democratic Party is having to go through, right now, even though Republicans, we're going through our own things, the Democratic Party has an, a lot of other soul-searching to do, and I'm not convinced that the Democratic Party sees, well, we know that there are definitely people within the party who don't see Nancy Pelosi as necessarily the future right. of the Democratic Party.
5: She's 82 <laughs>
6: Yeah, yeah, but I honestly believe that for instance, after 2024, there will be no no there would no longer be a Mitch McConnell as the Senate as well but the Senate majority leader. Um I don't think we'll have I think Mitch McConnell will probably um retire. But I don't see Mitch McConnell continuing to be the leader in the Senate. And even if he doesn't retire, I still think that the Republican Party will choose another leader in 2024. And I expect that the Democratic Party—and keep in mind—we'll be in an election year. So, as far as the Democratic Party's perspective, do you want to have Nancy Pelosi? Do you want to be running against Nancy Pelosi in 2024 when you're trying to actually keep the White House? I'm not convinced that Democrats will actually well, well, Nancy Pelosi is going to do whatever she wants to do in the same way that Mitch McConnell did. So for all of the noise that you heard about from people like Rick Scott, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous, his attacks on Mitch McConnell, as if Rick Scott himself is not the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which is charged with electing senators, but he's deciding to attack Mitch McConnell. I don't think that yeah, I don't think that um, that'll work. But Mitch McConnell ended up getting all of the votes that he needed to become the Senate majority leader. But I just think for both of them, I think that their time is very um, short.
1: What do you think about that? I mean, because to me, Mitch McConnell is going to be there forever. And if I'm a Republican, maybe I want him there Look, forever. The let guys me, let me just, cynical and good at his job. Let
2: me say this, though. Whoever is the leader of either chamber's is usually the person that is the biggest money maker. Whoever. Yes, so whoever's the and Nancy has And Nancy Pelosi for mm-hmm. ages literally she just controls the purse. Like that woman can can really gin up financial support. So everyone stands down and gets in line behind her and which is why what we saw happen with AOC and all the members of the squad because she can make or break your career. If she doesn't put her weight behind you, you are out of office. So, you know, AOC over there, if she didn't kiss the ring, Nancy would find a way to undermine her, get another person. Um, where is she from? Bro- Not Brooklyn. Uh, the the Bronx. 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 AOC. Oh, the AOC. Bronx. Yeah. Um, <laughs> AOC from the Bronx. Um, Nancy would just, you know, pluck another person out of a- obscurity over there, right? Right. And just run her against AOC and railroad her with all the money that Nancy has in the coffers for the for uh, her party, right? So that's how that works: is whoever has whoever can get the most money becomes the leader of those respective houses and parties. Um, who else could possibly be in line behind Nancy,
6: Malik? Well, that's the question because who who is being groomed for the position? I actually don't know who's the. Oh, well, I'll say this. Look at the line of um, um, power, if you will, on the Democratic side. So you have Nancy Pelosi, who's the what is it called? The deputy. Uh, I can't think of like her number two is Steny Hoyer.
1: He's 83 years old, by the way.
6: Yes. So the number the third most powerful person in Congress is James Clyburn. And remember, they created that position in James Clyburn because during the um, fight back in the Obama era, between um, there was going to be a fight between Deputy Whip—I think maybe that's what it's called or something—but there was a fight between Jim Clyburn and Steny Hoyer, and so to, in order to pacify Jim Clyburn, they created a third leadership position in the House. And so that's why Jim Clyburn is still in that same position. But within, and I don't know how old Jim Clyburn is, but look at the leadership. So you literally have people who, if not over 80, are close to 80. So I don't know who they're grooming, because typically it's your, you know, maybe your deputy or something like that in the leadership. But I don't know who they're, whom they're actually
1: grooming to be anything. But Hakeem Jeffries ran against Pelosi. What was it? The last... Uh, did, you're right. Sure yeah, did. It was but the I last don't, I don't term. know. He's not... I yeah, don't but not think
2: he, he's... He's, yeah. he's not winnable.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anybody knows who he is, for one. So there's that. I mean,
2: other than nerds like us? Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, and I just remember it was because people were trying to push the squad to basically back Hakeem, not because they loved the guy. The guy was so conservative. But their thought was, it's somebody to challenge Pelosi in order to kind of pull, get what you want out of on Pelosi. I, I got to be honest. I don't know who comes behind her. I don't her.
2: either. Like, there's nobody...
1: Like Gravitas, where you be like, I know who that guy is, the guy's been there.
2: Somebody that's not a hundred years old. Right, right. Right, like, because it's a long fight. It's it's not a sprint. This is a marathon. Nancy was in it for the marathon. She was in it forever. This is like, this is, you know, like, one of those. She's a triathlete. And right? you know what? Hancy.
1: And maybe the question is, what does the Democratic Party stand for? Maybe it's that. They've and, lost their soul. And I have no idea what that how that answer is. And by the way, they don't know the answer to that. Well, I mean, they're
2: corporatists now. They're
1: corporate. Do you remember? This was, I think it was when Obama was in office. It was immediately after they came out basically saying, OK, we cheated Sanders. I can't think of the woman's name. She wrote the book and she was going around basically. She was um, head of the Democratic Party at one point for the Elizabeth DNC. Elizabeth Warren? Uh-uh. No, not Warren. It's, she was an African-American woman I can't think oh, of her name I can see Donna her. Brazil Donna Brazil if you remember they kept asking Donna Brazil what does the Democratic Party stand for and none of them had an answer for it all of this she was like well Tom Perez oh, is now leader of the DNC
2: Don, Donna also helped Hillary cheat at the
1: agreed I guess my point is You're asking somebody who is basically head of the DNC, what does the party stand for? And how does the head of the DNC not have an answer for what the DNC, what the party stands for? And her thing was, well, Perez is now speak head of the DNC. I mean, it's probably has something to do with him. How can you not answer that question? What do you as a political entity represent? We have no idea. I guess my thing is, whoever you're going to put up, who's going to run that party from the standpoint of the House, shouldn't that person on some level be representative of what that party means? And
2: I'll tell you, I'll make it's, a bet. It's a question mark. It's not going to be anyone of the squad. and I'll tell, I don't and I'll buy tell, that at all. And no. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because of their supposed, however weak, supposed stance on BDS and Israel, they will never, bec- none of those people will ever become in a leadership position.
1: And I think their political identity in general. They're, they're
2: wishy-washy.
1: Yeah, they're so wishy-washy. And look, you have six members of the squad. The rest of the party is something else like meaning whatever, however tepid they are from the standpoint of the left, that is not what the party ultimately represents. Give me your take on this from the Republican side. Um, I mean, you can give me your take on that one also, but from the Republican side also. Isn't there this kind of soul searching that takes place in the Senate? I mean, the fact that they were attacking Mitch McConnell at all gets across that there's some kind of distinction between whoever Rick Scott considers himself to be or whoever Trump considers himself to be versus the other Republicans. Give me your take on that.
6: Yeah, so I think you made a couple of um, good points. So when you were talking about uh, being able to raise money that is the question if you look at just the democratic party who is the person who can who can uh, match or almost match Nancy Pelosi when it comes to fundraising, because that will be a big component of it. But again, if you look at the leadership line, they're not grooming anyone. And on the Republican side, I think that this is, you know, I said when Donald Trump was going out there attacking Mitch McConnell that I did not think that that was a good idea. People have a perception of Mitch McConnell, um, and probably in the same similar way to Nancy Pelosi, but definitely with McConnell on McConnell the, on the GOP side, that people are blaming mitch mcconnell and and mitch mcconnell's when they're talking about mitch mcconnell and what he did or did not do they were talking about packs that were aligned with mitch mcconnell not mm-hmm. what mitch mcconnell was directing himself there were packs that were aligned with him in rick Scott case he literally was the person in charge in ensuring that Republicans stay in, you know, Republicans senators, actually, Senate candidates actually win. But I think that's just a bunch of noises. People who won don't understand how politics works, which means they don't understand the role of Mitch McConnell in the Republican Party. There are people who these anti, these quote unquote anti-establishment people who thinks that Mitch McConnell is an establishment. But there is also another constituency of people who know but then choose to manipulate the public into believing things that aren't true. So these are the people who say, not only is this Mitch McConnell's fault, that if if they had spent money in races like, Arizona, or if they had, you know, not on Mitch McConnell's side, but if Republicans had supported, for instance, a Doug Mastriano or a Bulldog out of New Hampshire, who never had a chance at beating uh, Maggie Haberman, the same same thing in in, um, Pennsylvania, Mastriano. Well, Mastriano, bro, weren't you the dude who literally chartered a bus for people to come down to watch it, go down to Washington for January sixth. You were always a flawed candidate. But I think that Republicans have a better sense of you know, as far as um, leadership in our leadership, I think Republicans are situated better. So if it weren't a Mitch McConnell, I think that Tim Scott would be a fine Senate majority leader. I think that Joni Ernst, who actually has a leadership position in the house and people typically don't talk about her, but um, Senator Joni Ernst is out of Iowa. She's currently in the leadership position, um, leadership. One of the few women who has a leadership position in the house. I think that she would be fine as a Senate majority leader. I actually like, I interviewed, um, um, Senator Ernst during the primary, and I think she's a solid. I think that you could probably have someone like Marsha Blackburn in a leadership position in the House. And no, I'm talking about minorities at this point. I I haven't even just talked about white people. But I think that Republicans have a better bench when it comes to our Senate, but I don't know for that. I mean, we've talked about it and still wondering, and I'm sure when we get off the phone, we're probably still going to try to think about who are those people on the Democratic side? Like, who the leader? Who can I envision as a leader on the Democratic side? And I'm still stuck.
1: I'm at a loss for it myself. I I got I mean, and this doesn't seem to be a problem just in the House. I mean, what are you talking about president? What are you talking about Senate? I mean, all of those things become somewhat of a crapshoot for Democrats.
2: Yeah. And it's almost literally like they, top down for the Democrats. Like they, yeah. their party is in trouble.
1: They have not. And I, and I love the fact that you said grooming in, meaning in a positive sense, grooming that in the way <laughs> of a you know, a sexual pervert. Like but basically there's no idea of grooming people who are basically younger than 80 for these yeah, positions. I, I mean, they went for Joe Biden. Yeah, it's astonishing. Like is 60 it's weird.
2: The 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 young buck in the is, house.
1: 60 is the new thirty. <laughs> Just, like that.
2: Literally in the house, sixties the young buck in the house. It's like I I I don't know. I'm seeing the Rumble Room th- throw out names like Pete Buttigieg and
1: I don't and, see nobody
2: it. likes Pete. I mean, either. Look, he's if not you can't a, get an an the elected, black vote
1: in a Democratic Party. He's not, not you an elected
2: official it. right now. Anyway, he's, right? You know, Transportation. He's yeah. a secretary, right? Yeah. Um, but even if he did, right, he's not a congressman. He's never shown himself um, to do anything mm-hmm. on a national level, right? right? He's a, a a tiny a mayor from a tiny town. Yeah, he just
1: mm-hmm. ran an election. That's where his publicity right. basically comes like, from. Uh, you mayor of a town the size, I think, of about one hundred and twenty thousand people. And look, if it wasn't that—that's who Pete Buttigieg is. And by the way, if it wasn't for Joe Biden, basically. If those guys getting out of the race for Joe Biden to basically make his day, he would not have never gotten that position. I mean, Joe Biden gave those positions out as a thank you for getting out of the race and allowing me to beat Sanders as I you know, go to the presidency. Like, I mean,
2: literally, who else would stand up to Donald Trump? I mean, yeah, there's going to be political infighting within the Republican Party. Right. But who on the Democrat side is going to line up to fight Donald Trump? I mean, who do That's you right. have other than the incumbent? who is, you know, a frail old man at this point, right? He's, like, going to be 80, I think, this month? Yeah. 80? Um, a frail old man, or who? Or or what? I like- think,
6: honestly, I think that any Democrat will be able to take on Donald Trump, whether or not they can win against Donald Trump, because the entirety of the Democratic Party is anti-Trump. I mean, yes. so I think any of them will be able to take him on. What, cons- well, and I think I probably, if I didn't say it yesterday, but I've been saying this, frequently about how much this reminds me of 2016 when Donald Trump, the establishment was against Donald Trump. The media was against Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, even though they may have at times allowed him to come onto their networks because they love the carnival barker aspect of it. Sure. But he gets yes, but they were the media was against Donald Trump. The establishment was against Donald Trump in big money was against Donald Trump. Because you know who they were supporting? Jeb Bush. What That's happened right. to Jeb Bush? Jeb Bush fizzled out. What is the interesting thing about Jeb Bush? Like, in and, and I was reading in a report today where they talked about how Ron DeSantis is the first, and I said this, but Ron DeSantis is also the first governor since Jeb Bush to win Miami-Dade County. Really? Well, what's happening? Yeah, what's happening right now? The media loves, well, love, hate, but the media is pushing Ron DeSantis. The establishment is pushing Ron DeSantis. We hear reports about donors loving Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. So they're pushing Ron DeSantis in our faces in a similar way that they did with Jeb Bush and John Kasich and other candidates back in 2016. So for me, I see a repeat of that happening where these people are so disconnected and they may, belated, they may eventually and belatedly move to the Donald Trump column, but that's why I don't think that Ron DeSantis himself is a good fit as a national candidate, because what works in Florida doesn't necessarily work for the rest of the country. Donald Trump has a brand. Donald Trump was a national brand when he ran for president, so that made it easier for him. DeSantis doesn't have that.
2: Right, the whole world knew Donald Trump. He has resorts all around the world. People know his name. So for that alone, I mean, you could literally, I'm going back to, if we think back to 2015, 2016, before the elections, you can go to the middle of nowhere Africa and people were saying Donald Trump, Donald Trump. I don't know if it's because they actually supported him or just because they know the brand.
0: They knew
6: him. They knew him. And, and I want. And I also want to say this there because I I saw I it was a something a Fox News headline and I've seen it in the Wall Street Journal and other places. There's this focus on the the GOP's slim majority um, that i've been seeing now, I just want to put this into a little context when we 're talking about slim majority. Yes, the Republicans have the House right now, but the current makeup of congress Democrats control two hundred and twenty two seats Republicans control two hundred and thirteen seats. Republicans have flipped now, I believe eighteen seats. Democrats have flipped about six, so even if the Demo- even if the Republican party ends up with 222 seats. It would be the same number, the same slim majority that the Democrats have now. But what have Republicans, what have Democrats been able to do with that with the that narrative. four over um, slim majority? They've been able to impeach Donald Trump twice. They've been able to launch investigations. They've been able to launch uh, a whole you know, um, year plus long investigation into January 6th. They've done all of this stuff with their slim majority. So when you hear people talking about what Republicans can or can't do with a slim majority, remember that Donald Trump was impeached twice with that same slim majority number. Uh,
2: A majority is a majority is a majority. I don't care if it's by one or 20. A majority is a majority is a majority. A win is a win is a win. And the Republicans have have won the House. So
6: Now, one thing I will say is that it does make it – the thing about not having a much larger majority is that Kevin McCarthy will then have to do double time. He would have to go into overtime whipping his caucus, which means that on certain things he can't have any defections.
5: Right. Nancy yeah. Pelosi
6: was very good at that. Oh, oh yeah. Nancy yes. Pelosi, she, that's how we got ACA. <laughs> because Nancy Pelosi was in there. She put the gavel down. And we know, you mentioned AOC, something else that a, that a Nancy Pelosi could do that I'm not sure other, you know, people in the Democratic Party could do. Nancy Pelosi was able to call the popular members of the squad, the, the progressive caucus, and say, that letter, uh-uh. You need
1: to
0: pull that back.
2: Cut it out. Come
1: here, little girl. Uh, By the way, $15 an hour minimum wage. Same thing. I mean, because if you remember, Joe Biden needed a win. Pelosi wanted to get them on line. And their argument was, well, look, the president said we were going to push for $15 an hour minimum wage. Why on earth is Joe Manchin able to kill what the president wants, what the House and what the majority leader wants? Why should we capitulate on this? After one back and forth, they were done. They were done. Pelosi, cut that out. Cut that out. Cut that out. Mama Bear, and you know it was what. And so who Finko's- else
6: can do that? Like, who else has that type of power? You know, yeah. Within the Democratic Party, it's very difficult. And, and with 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 major, you know majorities like that, you have to have your entire caucus. Now, I think that the for on the Republican side, I do think that the Freedom what do they call them? Freedom Caucus, the Freedom Caucus, or whatever. We're going to have some. They're going to there will definitely be thorns in Repo- in Kevin McCarthy's side.
1: Do you remember? Immediately after January 6th, McCarthy and the reporting showed that McCarthy was basically screaming at Trump on the phone um, saying, do you know who the am?" Because people were trying to bang through and get through McCarthy's door and he could hear him banging on the window or banging on the door or whatever that was. And immediately, like a day after, McCarthy was like, nope, didn't happen. Now, the catch is it did happen. He just didn't necessarily want to have issues with Papa Bear on that issue. So he just said, it's, it's no issue here. We're good. Meaning, is there going to be what is that? What is that going to look like behind the scenes with McCarthy dealing with, let's say, the more Trumpier elements of the party? I mean, McCarthy is considered a Trumpian himself, but clearly with the fact that like, he's made the point of saying he's going to have to whip that caucus in the play. He's going to have to deal with people who are far to the right of him on that stuff. What does it look like behind the scenes when these guys are trying to whip them into certain legislation? It's going to be very difficult.
6: It it will be very difficult because the the caucus, for instance, I don't think that. You know, and then some people may say it's unfair, but I don't think that the squad, for instance, are as powerful within the party than like a Freedom Caucus um, is on the Republican side. I can't think of the guy. uh, Andy Biggs is the person who ran against Kevin McCarthy. Right. And he was going to lose anyway. But Kevin McCarthy will have a time because that Freedom Caucus The base of the Republican Party, you know, they like those Andy Biggs. They don't necessarily like Kevin McCarthy. And they're they're pretty much like night and day if you have McCarthy and McConnell. The base seems to not like either one of them. (laughs) But they probably would have been fine with someone like an Andy Biggs. The problem that they're going to have, especially now that Donald Trump is announced, is navigating Donald Trump because – they can't come out against him. I mean, they can, but.
1: Oh, that's super interesting. You're right. You're right. He's like, this is no longer just Trump as a specter behind the scenes. This is Trump. Like, I'm running I for made president it again. Yeah. I it, made it, it like, what you go do?
5: What you go do. I'm in this.
1: (laughs) And so so they
6: can't necessarily come after Donald Trump, but they're going to have to navigate the Trump DeSantis relationship, because even though people are talking about that this may just be strategic and Donald Trump will eventually get DeSantis, I think that Donald Trump's purpose is to to cut DeSantis off at the knees as yeah. early and as frequently as possible. And so that it will be a fight and it will be a lot of infighting within the Republican party saying that they, they, who don't like this because they do like Ron DeSantis, but Donald Trump doesn't care. Yeah. Donald Trump doesn't care how popular Ron DeSantis is because he sees himself as the king. He's big daddy and he will not let Ron DeSantis take his shine. So it's going to be a lot of infighting within the party.
2: He. D-G-A-F, <laughs> Donald Trump d right? Like, he doesn't care who you are, what party you're at, what state you're in, yeah. your immigration status. In the case of Winsome Sears, the lieutenant governor of Virginia, right. he took swipes at her. I don't know why <laughs> she can't even run for president. So I don't know because Abraham, take it into maybe chances. he didn't even know. Right. Like yeah. it's Donald Trump. Like he probably doesn't even know. Yeah. Winsome Sears is wildly popular. She's a, a Marine veteran. Uh-huh. She's a Republican. She's a, a wife, a mother. A, possibly a grandma. I don't yeah. know. She she checks all the marks, right? Uh-huh. One thing he forgot, or maybe he didn't, just don't care, degaff she's an immigrant. She's a Jamaican immigrant. Is she is an immigrant. She cannot run, run for run president. Even if she wanted to. So he took swipes at, at everybody in Virginia.
6: <sighs> yeah, and she is very well liked in Virginia. What I don't understand about Winsome Sears, I don't know why she came out with a statement at all. I, I don't know what prompted her to say oh. what she wouldn't do in 2024. Like, it was weird to me. It's like, well, first of all, you never, you hear Winsome Sears mainly in the DMV. She's not like a national person. So you don't hear people saying, well, what is, what does Winsome Sears think? No one ever says that. (laughs) And so I don't know why she came out because she's not like an influential person within the party. She is in Virginia, but in the party itself. She's not like this influential person, so I don't know why she decided to come out in opposition to Donald Trump two years.
2: Well, maybe, maybe she's just having the governor's back. She's just having Governor Yunkin's back after Trump took a swipe at him. I mean, Trump, like you said, is kneecapping everybody right out of the gates. Just boom, 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 just hitting everybody.
6: But if you but if you listen, if you think about what Winston Sears has done, because lieutenant governor, is kind of like a thankless job. You really don't do a whole lot. You're kind of there to kind of preside over the Senate. And but policy wise, you know, I don't think that she's that much different than Donald Trump, but she's just not a national figure. And I don't she I think she probably hurt herself. She because in Virginia, you can only run for governor once. You can do it. You, can, you can't do it consecutively. So you, you only can serve one. Term yeah, we, governor, we saw Terry so.
2: McAuliffe try to make a comeback. Right.
6: That very same thing. And wasn't it some, another governor, um, a recent governor did it twice or something. He was a Democrat. But in Winston Sears' case, I imagine that she's going to run. And maybe this is positioning for 2024. Maybe she wants to run for governor. And she decided to come out two years Early before she ran.
1: Bumper profile or something like that?
6: Yeah, maybe, but I don't know how that really helps her. I don't know how much coming out against Donald Trump helps
1: her in Virginia, and especially if he wins. You know, the more I think about this, the thing with Trump is fascinating when you think about it. I mean, all of those Republicans are going to have to almost declare a side, like, meaning you're like whoever's running in that race, and whatever Trump comes out, Trump comes out and says something. Okay. Um, so-and-so, you're Republican. What do you think about what Trump just you, said there?
2: You cannot seek shelter you from can't. Donald Trump. He's he so, comes out swinging at everybody. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're in the ring or an audience member. He's going to come out swinging on everybody. Well, and he takes
1: positions that force you to declare. It's not, meaning it's not milk toast. It's like Donald Trump said this. What do you think, Kevin McCarthy? Donald Trump said, what do you think, Ms. McConnell? And it's again, this is not a random guy at this point. This is somebody who's running for president of the U.S. That is, in his head, I am the leader of the Republican Party. Neil, it becomes that, which means that whatever they're coming out with from standpoint of policy that's coming out of the House, Donald Trump is going to have an opinion on it, like oh, like it's hard to get across the gravity that it that it's bringing to bear politically, even if Trump meaning as long as Trump is in the Republican primary and as long as people think that Donald Trump is going to be the presumptive nominee everything and whatever Donald Trump says takes on a gravity of its own.
6: And you know, and to push that, and, and in fact, to, to, to that point, you're going to have to choose a side between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Yes, that, especially if
1: DeSantis runs.
6: Yeah, you, they, you're going to have to choose a side. You can't just sit on the sidelines, but I just want to say quickly, I don't know how much time we got, but I'm looking here now on the news, the House Republicans are actually having a conference. Jim Jordan is speaking, talking about the things that they plan to do. Well, Hunter Biden... Investigating that
1: is one of them. I'm down with that. I, I'm, but I'm see, down I'm fine with that. with that, providing that Hunter Biden investigation is trying to get somewhere. Like, like if you're investigating Hunter Biden just because you just want to invest. Okay, fair enough.
2: I'm okay with that, too. Yeah, especially to if there are certain the
1: connections and everything else. <laughs> I just want to know the dirt. How many MMs did you hold on know. your penis, Mr. Hunter Biden? And how do we know that you held those on your penis? Maybe you were on crack that day and you had a mistaken perception. How old perception. were those
2: prostitutes in the pictures we saw?
1: Yeah, it, Or that. How much crack did How you take when you were in the bathroom? How much child
2: trafficking have you engaged in?
1: Oh, that gets, man, that gets lent. Um, but salacious. can I just
6: say this, though? That in, and I didn't even think about it until I looked at the TV and saw Jim Jordan. So Jim Jordan actually helps McCarthy because Jim Jordan, he is, like, I think, didn't he, didn't he get, like, the speak, the whatever that deputy position is, I think, under McCarthy?
1: Isn't he, like, second under now, McCarthy? That I don't know. I mean, Jim Jordan is very visible, though. Meaning within the context of Republicans, he's very visible.
6: Yeah, he is in a leadership position. I can't think of it's in the number two slot vote, but Jim Jordan will be very helpful to McCarthy because Jim Jordan that 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 base of the party they like Jim Jordan. Yeah, and so Jim Jordan will be capable of helping that. But it, like on the other side, like who's the Democrats' version of Jim Jordan? To like the Batman and Robin kind of scenario, like right. who's the who's the Democrats' version? Of like Jim Jordan to Nancy Pelosi. Be. Yes, yeah, because the second person now is Steny Hoyer.
2: <laughs> yeah. That doesn't help.
1: That doesn't well,
6: help at all. To
2: Jamar's point, who
1: helps Nancy
6: the Pelosi? Democrats, yes.
2: who, who do they have at all in their stables? Is Hillary, who says she won't do it. Um,
1: she's
2: going to Bernie run. Sanders, who's still wildly popular, but he's ancient, too. He's
1: in his 80s himself. He's, he's also ancient. In himself.
2: There's literally nobody else. Everybody. Yeah. yeah, the whole party, the whole Democrat Party. um, as a behemoth, will come out to fight Donald Trump. Yes. But when it comes to the actual election, can any of them—
1: Who's the individual? Can
2: they, Right. Who's the one person? Yeah. Can they beat Donald Trump? And I don't—right now, I looking at the landscape, I don't see it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know at all. Um, one one thing. What will they be—I mean, the Hunter Biden thing, do you think that's more sort of crawl to Joe Biden? Meaning crawling over the corpse of Hunter Biden, political corpse, that is, in order to get to his dad? Meaning if they're talking about investigations, it, I mean, it seems that your most pointed investigation will be at the president himself.
2: Well, I mean, the president's son, how much closer can you get outside of, you know, a colonoscopy? Well, that's
1: my point, though. Like, it's one thing if they're hitting Hunter, if they hit Hunter. It's another thing if you're saying, look at these letters, look at the stuff talking about Big Dad. Are you Big Dad? You said that you had no association big or a conversation with your son. Thank you, Big Guy. Or for that matter, the letter talking about the meeting that took place between the representatives and your dad. Like, thank you for introducing me to your dad. Like, I think for Biden, that's the, I guess, is that the tipping point? Like, if is that the spear that they're trying to use to get to Joe Biden if they're talking about this stuff of impeachment? Like, the Hunter Biden stuff is fascinating. Yeah,
6: so I honestly think that for the majority of Republicans, I don't think that they believe that there's a lot of there there as far as Joe Biden criminally. Yeah. I think it is to paint the water for joe biden i think it's it's because of everything that you did against donald trump we're going to tag you to this so even if there's anything that they haven't found as criminal against joe biden they'll be able to say but your crackhead son (laughs) and i i honestly think that that's their goal that they want to anything biden
1: if they can't get to joe himself let's take out his son right how long have you been beating your wife and very fact that you're answering questions about beating your wife—it <laughs> looks so bad. I've never put my hands on my wife. Yeah, but there's a question about whether yeah, this person how long beat their have wife. You beat her. Yeah. Like, right. What? <laughs> right. Right. It's like we're not asking you whether you. We're just asking you how long. We're assuming that you did, and you're sitting there with lights on, you saying. I never beat my wife, and then all of a sudden they run the real but those well, there are questions about whether this person beat their wife or not. It, you could be right about that. Where just the association in and of itself, and the moment you catch Joe Biden and a lie about it, oh, it looks bad. Yep. It looks so bad. By the way, do you think there's gonna what do you think on issues, let's say substantive issues of let's say inflation, of economics, do you think they're gonna do yeah, anything? Ab-
2: abortion's gotta be over in the next two years, right?
1: And that part too. Like meaning what are they actually gonna do in real terms? regarding cuz look they only have one branch right but all things been equal what are they going to do with the power of that particular branch i'm unclear on that just because you talk well, about
6: one of the things that one of the things that i do believe that they're going to do and if you look at what's happening in the senate now it actually did um pass out of committee with a supermajority of the vote the um codifying same sex marriage, marriage. Right.
2: and interracial
6: yeah yeah so but i do think that that is something that they that the senate will do I think that that's something that will happen. We'll have some teetering around the edges, but I don't think for the same reasons Democrats did with Donald Trump, not wanting to give him a win on police reform, so they decided to block the GOP's version of the police reform bill. I think that they're going to, Democrats are going to, because, you know, we do this tit for tat, Democrats are going to do just as much as they can to keep the government running. But when it comes to giving any wins to Republicans in the house, or I I don't think that they're going to play ball along that line. But at the end of the day, Joe Biden is the person who has to veto any bill that comes from either, you know, that comes from the Senate. So if Joe Biden, if that's and he said that he's going to just issue vetoes, but I don't think that's very practical because, you know, the presidents typically don't just veto everything, but they're going to have to prove whether it's the Democrats or Republicans, because we saw this in the 22 in this cycle, they're going to have to prove that they've been able to do something. They can't just invest on the Republican side. They can't just investigate. They can't just block. They can't just complain. They have to show to the base and to the country that we have done something substantive and and we've been able to work together on these, you know, things. I don't think there's going to be a lot of big Things, especially because we're kind of like in a lamed up session with Joe Biden for these next two years, so I don't think anything big will happen. But I think that codifying same sex marriage, I think that's something that will be significant, and that may happen before the next Congress.
1: Wow! I just think they kept saying Republicans are going after same sex marriage yeah, next,
2: which they're like, no,
1: no, we're not doing that. It's True. true. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know why they would do that. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't. And I think the people were well, like, why would them. they do that? Yeah. It's like, why this would they do them. that? Let's just get rid of same-sex marriage. Let's go after interracial marriage. We're going to re-litigate that one It's not, that not one even too. an
6: issue anymore. Like, no one, there, you, you hear very few people talking about same-sex marriage. Like, we, we called that back in 2012. Agreed. Yeah. I, to me, that was a settled yeah.
2: modern Republicans do not care. Like, they're like, All right, whatever. Yeah,
1: I don't think, yeah, I I strongly think they don't care about that stuff at this point. And you have plenty of Republicans who are gay. It seems to be far more acceptable at this point. Yeah, I don't see the the thing. Malik, thank you, my man. Appreciate this. By the way, when are you back? We'll see you back here. I'll be be back in tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right. Well, you have have a safe safe flight. flight. Absolutely, man. Be safe on your travels. All righty. Malik Abdul, co-host, fault lines um, on Radio Sweet and then, yes, that's the show that you're watching now. Yeah. Just in case you were curious about, is there a different fault lines? How did
2: I stumble into this? Yeah, it's where like Joe I?
1: Biden's like, where are we again? Well,
2: you yeah, just, not everybody's Joe sir, Biden. You're at the White House. Not okay. everybody's Joe Biden. Yeah. Well, um, no, they they confuse the poor old man. They made a fake Oval Office, like, and they put him in there. Which
1: Oval Office am I at?
2: They made I him need a fake my one.
1: Applesauce. Where's my applesauce? I mean, people think
2: I might be joking, but for real, there is literally a fake studio version. Yeah. Of the Oval Office, where. They do whatever fancy camera tricks. Yeah, they basically want to give you
1: this impression it. that the president is still right. at the Oval Office. They just when he's, made
2: a, a duplicate, and it's it's there. Like, you can see it at the White House. In his it's underwear. to the side.
1: With the suit on at the top. And he's just it's doing a, his thing. It's
2: a fake Oval Office, yeah. which is like, really Mr. Weird.
1: President, wear your pants? It becomes what? that conversation. Right? <laughs> like, what? Get him out of here. Get him out of here. Give him some pants. Um, look, you guys are listening to Fault Lines. Thomas Chan. Let's go to callers. So you guys are li- uh, the number 202. that is 202-521-1320. We have
2: have room for about one or two calls.
1: Yes. Yes, we do. Um, Look, Malik is right on this point. And it's, look, the Trump thing is fascinating to me. The more I think about it, Donald Trump is coming out as a peacenik. At the very least, that's the way some of the stuff comes out, especially this commentary on, well, they claim that they care about climate change, something that's going to happen in about 50 years. But they don't care about nuclear war that could happen tomorrow. Tomorrow, right, they can right.
2: end everything, so don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it.
1: I mean, and then you get the missile strike in Poland. That makes that that much more clear. Like it becomes like when the president is screaming nuclear oblivion and nuclear Armageddon and you have a missile strike that could have easily been said – Russia launched it. It's like Russia's like we didn't do it. And all of those leaders, if they wanted to, could have been like, nope, they're lying about it. They launched that missile. Now the fact that you can look at it with, um, is S three hundred. The fact that you can analyze it, where well, you can look at the picture of it, that may not have mattered at all because common sense hasn't necessarily been something that has been on display <laughs> either in the reporting of the media, it's or not maybe necessary. let's not even call it common sense. Dishonesty, straight, flagrant oh, dishonesty. Come on.
2: I don't think Well, right. They're not even trying to hide it. They're
1: not even trying to hide At it. At
2: least before they tried to, you know,
1: Russia blew up probe. his own pipeline. That's exactly what happened. And look, We're I would just say not
2: even the
1: ridiculousness of that story is that story got swiped away That's, very quickly.
2: You know what that shows me is we've gotten to this point of so much disrespect and yes. just disregard for each other mm-hmm. as humans that these bastards don't even attempt don't even to try lie to us. Just- like, like they do, but they just do If you're going to lie
1: to me, give make a, me the. Do a good lie. Yeah, make it a good lie. Like no, don't. Russia blew up its own pipeline. And you're like, why would they but, do that? Because.
2: it makes no sense. It makes no sense. <laughs> you're like, but wait, It's
1: like you can't come up. Like you didn't even. It's like your
2: boyfriend or girlfriend cheats on you. And then you catch them and you're like. They make up some bad excuses. My like, penis
1: accidentally fell into right. her vagina. I it wasn't just trying. totally didn't cheat it on you. Just it happened. just happened. It wasn't my fault. Baby, I mean, come on. Happened. It's that. But can
2: you at least make up a good one? Yeah. They don't I even try. Just try, try to they've lie. They just, like a just a good stopped.
1: One? I mean, all of I, mean, I guess my point is the fact that they would lie so shamelessly about those things that are clear as day lies. And then you have this missile strike. All of them could have came together and said, all right, guys, Ukraine is going to lose this war.
2: When when does this, here's the thing, when, this right here highlights just how much of a flagrant liar Volodymyr Zelensky is. Of course. Are we going to continue to funnel money to this guy? Like, literally? He, Manila, he's, you know the answer to that if question. If he's lied about this, what else do you think he's lying about? But
1: see, the issue, like I said, the issue with Ukraine goes, and because of the issue with Ukraine goes beyond Ukraine, for them, this is a necessary reality, meaning, we need to come up with reasons and justifications for us to keep giving this guy money to make it look as if Ukraine is still ticking along. Because if we come to the conclusion that they're not ticking along and they're going to lose this war, then people are asking, well, why are you keeping funding money into a situation where you know they're going to flat back loose? But the issue with Ukraine was more sort of bog Russia down. Well, there are multiple. Sure. There's the economic and the geopolitical. There's multiple problems, Right. But I guess my thing is this could have ended horribly. Like it's a quirk. It's a of those leaders, or by not wanting to go to a third world war. But Poland, um, the Britain, some of those countries may be willing, thinking to themselves, we're not going to get to the point of a war. We're just going to keep pushing this a bit further. And for us to prevent.
2: Provocative, not the, escalatory.
1: But it is is escalatory. If they would have came out and said, this was a Russian missile, or Russia launched this missile, what happens? Meaning, yes, they would have called Article 4. But well, how Article many of them. Article 4
2: is just a. A meeting, of, right? Yeah, conversation. They would have
1: called Article Four, and some of them would have said, "We need to do something about it because Ukraine is going to lose this war." And you might have not have gotten Article Five launch where all of those countries got involved. But what but if you had the UK? What, but that's what US? that
2: idiot in Ukraine was calling for. Article Five now.
1: You, we have what screaming eagles in Romania right now. They could have went into a part of the UK. I mean, and, and part of Ukraine. Like, that's what I'm saying. This is so dangerous. This is so dangerous. And it makes Trump's point that much clearer and saying this could have ended in a war. This is what this president is doing right now. Vote Trump like that.
2: He's got I mean, this is a win for Trump or what at is least Ma- for campaigning.
1: What does McCarthy say when Trump makes that argument?
2: They can't say right because they have voted to give money to Ukraine as well.
1: Exactly. But does McCarthy change? No. He's going to no have balls. to deal with Big Papa.
2: No balls. Small Tate.
1: You guys are listening listening to the Fault Lines. Thomas, Chan. We'll see you guys tomorrow. You guys (laughs) have a good one. Have a good one, guys. Fault Lines.